2: You're digging the Rock and Roll Heaven
3: podcast with L.D., Will the Thrill, and T.J. Two.
4: Hey guys, welcome to Rock and Roll Heaven, the podcast where we talk about the lives, careers, and deaths of famous musicians. I'm your host, L.D., along with me for the ride, as always, is Will the Thrill. Greetings and salutations
5: nice oh god that sounded awesome did you crackle wilt what was that
6: (laughs) that my dear friends is the mcleod brewing company
4: deal with the devil pale ale ipa yeah i found i'm very good at i'm very good at picking out beers i'm not very good at drinking them so yeah that's that's my hidden talent i don't drink beer or wine but i pick out really good ones and you know how you do it you find the label that's the goofiest this one is quite tasty by the way mm, glad you like it thank you all right and then we have our storyteller for this series yep. mr tj2 the deuce oh nice what is that
5: that is a bottle cap from a shiner blonde
6: never does you wrong shiner blonde is always a good choice
5: yeah shiner blonde goes down like uh, water if you were in the desert wearing a parka and carrying a fat man on your back in ski boats
6: that, that tracks. Okay. That tracks. I, okay. I think we can both agree. Shiner has made what one bad beer, if that one
5: ever, one ever in their 150 or whatever it is your history. Yeah. Pretty good betting. Effort. Holiday, holiday care sucked ass. Everything else is sublime. <laughs> it's, it's wonderful. All
4: yeah. right. So to catch everybody up, first of all, I have uh, what do you call that? At Regrets, not Regrets. retractions. Retra- retractions. Well, it's no, it's a, it's a, I wanted to fix something. So I, number one, I called uh, Roe Pansino something completely different. And if you're listening, Ro, I love you. I'm sorry. I don't think she listens to the show, but, but you I am it. a big fan. It was just, I was really tired. And I called her like Pancina or something.
5: You called but- her like... Rosaro Panzaro. <laughs> I have no idea. But was a conquistador from 1562. <laughs> was, this, yeah. And th- this was during our, our, our just concluded series on Dusty Springfield. Dis- yes. dis
4: and no one no one brought it up, but I just wanted to bring it up in case she ever listens to this because I watch her videos. I watched her series Escape the Night. I've seen her collab with uh Sophia Nygaard, who I, I absolutely loved. She's so cute. She's she's the cake lady and I I don't know what happened, I was just really tired. (laughs) The other thing was that I'm even more ashamed of was I kept calling Dusty's song sometimes like butterflies. I kept calling it something like butterflies. Even when I was directly looking at the text, I was like, why would you even say that? But it happened not just once, it happened twice. I think I called a very fine love a very fun love several times. So these are self incriminations. No one has ever complained about it, but you know what? I'm going to get ahead of the curve and be like, sorry, well, guys, I have a mush mouth, and that's what happened.
5: Well, but you know, in our defense, I, I could go back to the Eddie Van Halen series. I said, I think I said he and Alex were born in Denmark one time, <laughs> even though that's not what I had written on the script, and it was very wrong. The, <laughs> but you go back far enough to the when, when we did the episode on John Prine last year, I mentioned his grandfather, I think played music with merle travis and i said merle travis co-wrote ring of fire that was merle kilgore in my defense there are a lot of people named merle in country music <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. The cheese, these, the these things will law. happen that's when the cheeser's law was enacted right yeah correct
4: so i'm i'm really sorry no one's no one's complained about anything but i just wanted to like you know i have a mush mouth and the thing is i wake up at 6 30 every morning and i start my morning phone calls for my job and it goes into like 6 30 or 7 o'clock at night. And so by the time we record this, I'm already like mouth tired. So I apologize. In about three days, part of that shouldn't be a problem. So and in a grand sweep of irony,
6: LD is the only one who doesn't drink during this podcast. <laughs> right. That that's the
5: puzzler.
4: You just gotta, you don't even know. You can't judge me because of what I do. <laughs> Anyway, so, um, and then we also have a bit of sad news. Uh, TJ, do you wish to talk about that?
5: I do not remember the gentleman's name, and I feel terrible.
6: Well, I did look up the one that we were discussing. There were two this week. Unfortunately, we lost Robbie Steinhardt, violinist and singer, for Kansas. Carry on, our wayward son.
4: I think that anybody who knows me knows how much Kansas is so ingrained and my fandom, like the the fandom I truly belong to. And no, it's not the Newsies, because I am a Fanzie, but I'm definitely a Supernatural uh, fan that Joe's been on for, you know, was on for 15 years. I Every season you would hear that song, and that song is so incredibly ingrained in that fandom that I think that Kansas got this big boost and got like a whole new a group of fans specifically because of that
5: show. And don't and don't and don't forget the hysterically funny scene from um, Old School. Oh, dust in the wind, <laughs> where where Will Ferrell is singing dust in the wind at that Absolutely guy's funeral. Right. And then so
6: does that make you a Kenzie? Is that
5: the correct term? <laughs> I think she's a Kenzie. Yeah, a
6: Kenzie, a Kenzie and a fancy
4: Oh, that's great. All right, so you anyway, know, rest in peace, Robbie. Yes, rest in peace. Um, and then we have jerry garnelli who was known for his work on the charlie brown christmas soundtrack which i mean if you guys know anything about me you know i hate christmas music but i do actually have a soft place in my heart for those songs mm.
5: so it's hard it's, it's hard not to that's that's part of that's part of almost everybody's childhood no matter how old you are really
4: yeah it's it, it truly is and you know you do the there's even the little dance that she does where she tilts her head from side to side peppermint patty Yeah, the peanut stance yeah, yep. and you do it to that song and just it's the christmas that's like the one christmas thing that i will allow in our house at christmas time bah humbug, yeah okay so we we do wish his family many thoughts and prayers and may he rest
5: so so we're that, starting a new series yeah, yeah with all that
4: out of the way let's get this ball rolling TJ. yeah
5: okay so uh we're continuing our heavy hitter series and uh this is uh, among the heavier hitters uh, that we'll tackle this year we're going to uh, spend the next five weeks discussing the life and career and very untimely death of thomas earl petty most right, folks yes. know him as tom
4: you know what though if, if you had called him thomas earl petty his entire life he might have been a serial killer that's
5: see, it's really good. And thankful thank God his middle name wasn't Wayne Lee or Ray. Because no, that man. never seems like that just seems to be a harbinger of terrible, terrible things.
6: Now I had this thought the other day, and LD, correct me if I'm wrong. I think Mr. Petty is the first Floridian we've covered on this podcast.
5: I mean, can correct- I cannot I mean, I think can't,
4: I can't of another one. Many. I don't even know what we've done so far. Well, we have not covered Skinnerd. We have
5: not covered Skinner. Haven't done Skinner and uh, haven't done uh, Molly Hatchet or anybody. So we
4: haven't haven't done the Backstreet Boys.
6: So I think he is
5: the only representative from the state of Florida on our podcast. Yeah, he's representing. Right. So I'm just going to tell everybody up front. I'm a huge Tom Petty fan. This is a series I've spent a couple of months preparing for, which, which included for a month, literally listening to nothing but Tom Petty music. And that's most, most of it's I like it's, that. this is, No, it was uh, one of the more joyful parts of the exercise, to be perfectly honest with you. I think you're going to do that anyway. Right. I was probably going to do it anyway. Um, <laughs> now, I'm going to, and I alluded to this in our last episode, I'm going to come at this a little bit different than we've ever come at anybody before. So, typically, because as you say at the outset of every episode, we're talking about the lives, careers, and deaths of famous musicians, and that's the order we go in their life, their career, and their death. We start at the beginning and we end at the end. That's that's typically how we do this because we're telling their, we're retelling as much as we can in the time we have their life story. Mm-hmm. Well, I have decided that I'm gonna Quentin Tarantino pulp fiction this mofo a little bit. I'm not starting at the beginning of this series. <gasps> I'm actually gonna jump about halfway into his career and more than halfway through Tom's life. Beca- oh, and and, and- Right, and I'm going to start in the middle. And then next week we're we're going to go back to his early life in Gainesville, Florida. Wow. So
4: wait, spoiler. And the reason over- I'm
5: the reason I'm the reason I'm doing this is because there is one part of his career and I'm not going to tip what it is just yet, but you'll you'll see it, uh, very shortly. There's one part of Tom's career that is unique and completely different and unto itself. And in fact, it is unique and different and unto itself pretty much in the annals of rock music. He was a part of something that was, there's there's very few things you can compare to it. And I, I, I'm not going to say what it is just yet, but we'll get there in just a minute. So, if you fellows are ready.
4: I'm not yeah. a fella. I'm a dude, if anything. If you dudes are ready. All right.
5: Let's, hit it. Let's do this. All right. Now, the word legend has a few meanings. It can refer to a legendary figure, but it can also relate to stories and lore That may or may not be true. In the history of rock and roll, there are plenty of the latter. Contrary to popular belief, Led Zeppelin did not feed a groupie to a shark, as we discussed (laughs) in our John Bonham episode. Paul McCartney did not die at the height of the Beatles' success. The kid from the Wonder Years is not Marilyn Matson. stop saying he is. (coughs) Mama Cass did not die at the business end of a ham sandwich. And Robert Johnson did not exchange eternal hellfire and damnation for musical ability. When it comes to one particular late 1980s supergroup, the first definition certainly applies. Now, I want you two to gird your loins as I now give you some of the outlandish, silly, almost cartoonish numbers the individual members have accumulated. (laughs) Combined, the five musicians that comprise this band have sold, as of this recording, more than 2 billion units worldwide
4: so like jeff Bezos
5: numbers big right <laughs> two billion two records, billion singles, records cps the whole thing between them they have released more than 200 singles that have reached the billboard hot 100 singles chart oh my god all five members are members of the rock and roll hall of fame oh. and two were offered knighthoods <laughs> well only one took it but one of them is an officer of the British Empire. He gets to put OBE behind his name. Yes, so, he does. Like,
4: so following in Dusty's
5: footsteps. Sort of, yeah. So legend actually seems woefully inadequate in describing this band. However, there is a bit of a legend when it comes to how the band came to be in the first place. You can find variations of some story that George Harrison and Jeff Lynn mm-hmm. happened to pull up next to Roy Orbison at a stoplight, invited him to come with them to Bob Dylan's house to cut a song stopped off at tom petty's place to pick up guitar a guitar invited him along and then after recording what was supposed to be a one-off for a b-side of a european single they decided it was too good for that purpose and ended up cutting the whole album oh i thought it was the power station oh no not the power station oh okay
4: wait are we gonna yeah. still have the conversation about super groups or we did we scrap them? we
5: are going to have that a little bit later in the yeah. episode yes
4: in the episode yes. or the episodes
5: uh, later in this particular episode.
4: Oh, uh, crap. I didn't do my research.
5: <laughs> uh, well, so, but no, it's not the power station. Now, also not uh, Damn Yankees or Them Crooked Vultures. <laughs> Sorry. That's my other guess. There are kernels of truth to that story, though. But the band name and idea were actually more than a year old at uh, the point that their first album was released, having been dreamed uh, dreamed up over a few too many drinks. The possibility of the group in some form was actually publicly spoken into existence on a radio show months before the band was actually even formed. As we open our series on Tom Petty, we actually do so not at the beginning of his life or his career, but at the midway point as we dissect the legend of the Traveling Wilburys. Yes, Yes, here we go.
4: Not even joking. Let me just tell you right off the bat, I might be a little biased because... One of their songs is in my top 10 songs of all time. Ever. Oh, wow. Ever. Ever.
5: Their first album might be, it's probably in my top 10 albums ever. Fair oh, enough. Yeah.
6: And, and can we just take a moment to to give sort of context to the episode of just who our favorite Wilburys are? Because I think, TJ, your choice is quite apparent. Uh, sure. <laughs> um, but LD?
4: Um, my personal favorite was the very first episode we ever did on this podcast number episode number one which was mr roy orbison
6: and that ties to our cat if i'm not
4: mistaken yep we have a cat his name is lefty there you go
6: yep <laughs> and I, I will say that tom would be the runner up for me uh he oh, is... wait, we're
4: doing runners up because if we're doing runners up jo- jo- george
6: okay well then george i'm gonna take that and run with it because tom would lose by a nose but what a nose it is mine of course is my sweet george my, mm-hmm. my favorite wilbury
5: your favorite Wilbury and favorite Beetle, And favorite Beetle. I'm consistent. Yeah. Now, these actually seem to be five fairly disparate artists, if you think about it. They saw their commercial peaks at different times. One was from Florida, one was from Texas, one was from Minnesota, and two others were from England. <laughs> Musically, they all certainly have at least one foot in rock, but one member is a folk poet, one is a rockabilly balladeer, one a member of the greatest pop rock band ever one a purveyor of very high concept, highly produced artsy rock, and one a heartland rocker, often mislabeled as southern rock, new wave, or even punk at different Mm. points in his career. But there are threads connecting them going back at this point, 60 years. In 1961, a kid was listening to the radio when a song came on that he later described as, quote, the biggest blast of wonderment to me. (laughs) The singer grabbed his attention, but so did the pure sound he was hearing. He started to wonder how certain sounds and noises were made and captured for the record. He was only a kid, but he was already starting to think like a record producer. His quote, mom and auntie said that the song was terrible and was too sexually suggestive. (laughs) But that 13 year old named Jeffrey, Jeff Lynn was instantly made into a lifelong fan of the song he was hearing, which was, only the lonely, and the man who sang it, Roy Orbison.
4: Wow, my man!
5: How, how uptight were Mom and Auntie that Only the Lonely was too sexually suggestive? You can't go with Roy. He's you a guy. You can't favorite. go with Roy.
4: He's a perfect. Again, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> all of our, our all of our two British listeners, we are really sorry. Uh, they out My, my brother uh, was dropped on his head a lot as a child. Uh, sometimes he would actually just, you know, throw himself into walls uh, that they, they i'm, was the I'm fine just ask understand. me
5: <laughs> so it's jeff yeah. lynn huh yep jeff lynn so lynn played in a number of bands but eventually he fronted the enormously successful group the electric light orchestra he met his countryman george harrison just once prior to the 1980s getting a very brief audience with him when he wandered into the abbey road studios during the recording of the white album Lynn recollects that the group was working on the song Glass Onion in one studio, while George Martin worked on it with an orchestra in another. He did write and do a little production work for Harrison's not very successful album Gone Troppo" in 1981.
2: Yeah. Now,
5: fast forward to sometime in late 1986 or early 1987, Lynn had dinner with friend and fellow musician Dave Edmonds. As they were parting company, with each walking in different directions toward their cars, Edmunds yelled, quote, Oh, by the way, George Harrison wanted me to ask you if you could work on his new album. <laughs> just FYI. By, the, yeah. by the way, Lynn asked, That's <laughs> the possibility of working with a friggin' Beatle. No, sorry, I'm busy. <laughs> that was obviously a joke. Lynn wasn't really busy at all with ELO having just called the quits. He went to Harrison's sprawling estate and was told by a woman uh, who opened the door to meet Harrison down by his lake. The two rode a small boat around with Harrison warning Lynn not to hold on to the side of the boat when they rode through some narrow tunnels. Quote, (laughs) grip with your bum, he apparently said, (laughs) before asking, would you fancy going to Australia? (laughs) Lynn said he would. So Harrison told him to meet him in Hawaii two weeks later. They flew to Australia, then helicoptered into the Australian Grand Prix, where Harrison somehow knew almost all the drivers and pit crew members.
4: It this must is be, like, like really nice to be that rich.
5: Yeah.
6: This is like a 1960s like screwball comedy. Or a spy movie. Yeah, <laughs> I was about to say or a Bond movie. I don't <laughs> know which. Just switch up George Jeff Lynn for, for Bond.
5: Right. Um, the two went to Queensland, and at some point, they sat down on the piano, and they wrote the song, When We Was Fouled. That was uh-huh. the start of Harrison's first album in five years, which Lynn would co-produce, called Cloud Nine, which debuted in late 1987. Now, it had a massive worldwide number one hit, Got My Mind Set On You and it went platinum. Harrison had not had a gold record in eight years at that point, and surprisingly, had not released a million-selling studio album since 1970s All Things Must Pass. That album, though, that album is a masterpiece. It is. It's It's fantastic. I, I just I couldn't believe that it had been 17 years since George Harrison had had a, a platinum album. That's crazy. As the two worked on songs that would, uh, they would occasionally notice tiny flaws caused by faulty equipment and otherwise excellent recordings, and they came to call those "Wilberries," as in "Don't worry, we'll bury them in the mix." Uh huh. Now I have seen a- another uh, story, but that was the most consistent. I saw one where that the term Wilbury actually came from a misspelling on a guitar pick, but the version <laughs> I saw most consistently was that they would have little pings, little skips and things, and they would say, oh, don't worry, we'll bury them in the mix, and they just started calling those little mistakes "willberries." About two months into the process, as the two had several drinks one night, Lynn recounted Harrison saying that once they were done with the album, that they should form a band. uh, Who are we going to have in this band, Lynn asked. I was thinking Bob Dylan, Harrison said, (laughs) to which Lynn laughed, almost taking it as a joke that Dylan would join anybody's band. Quote, Well, let's get Roy Orbison then, too, Lynn responded, figuring they may as well have the best rock singer alive if they were already going to have the best songwriter. At some point, one or the other threw in, hey, how about Tom Petty, with the other responding, oh, sure, he's great. So just hold on to all that information for just a minute. Another instance that somewhat contradicts the idea of the whole Wilbur's project being spontaneous and almost a happy accident came on the radio show Rock Live. Harrison was the guest in February of 1988, and was asked how he planned to go about following up the success of his Cloud Nine album. He said, quote, what I'd really like to do next is to do an album with me and some of my mates. It's this new group I've got in mind called the Traveling Wilburys, and he specifically mentioned Bob Dylan as a possible bandmate. I take it without ever formally consulting with Bob. (laughs) Well, without having asked Bob about it, right. Correct. (laughs) When Harrison and Lynn were finishing up Cloud Nine, Bob Dylan was out on his True Confessions tour. Now, he had just released the album Knocked Down and Loaded, which was one of the worst-received albums of his career, both commercially and critically. He asked Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers to back him at Farm Aid just before his tour started. Now, that made sense for a couple of reasons. Mainly, some member of the Heartbreakers, including Tom himself, had appeared on every Bob Dylan album since 1981. Dylan enjoyed the experience so much at Farm Aid, he asked them to come on the road with him to act as his band. Wow. They agreed, with one of Petty's other idols, Roger McGuinn of the Birds joining them for the tour's second leg. Now, this is where the Legends part starts to come back into play. You can read a lot of stories that will indicate that both artists were at commercial and critical low points, and that the two reinvigorated one another during this tour. But that isn't actually true. Now, it's naughty. For Dylan, it may actually have been. But Petty and the Heartbreakers had just released the album, Let Me Up, I've Had Enough, which featured the Dylan co-written hit, Jammin' Me. Now, Tom apparently didn't really like the album a whole lot, with no songs from it making his later Greatest Hits album. But the record still sold platinum, and he had a long string of gold and platinum albums dating back more than 10 years. So he did not need to be commercially reinvigorated. He was doing perfectly fine.
6: I think that gives you a lot of perspective. He's like, oh, this platinum album, it's not one of my favorites, but this other platinum album.
5: Right, <laughs> you know? right. No, yeah. this other platinum, this other thing that a million people bought, I, I consider it to be a much more whole and, 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 and well-rounded piece of work. <laughs> oh, um, still, the tour did benefit both men. Dylan would get a bit of a career jump start in the very near future. And Petty was very close to embarking on one of the most prolific and successful stretches of his career, and critics did take note that in terms of songwriting, quote, his vocabulary did seem to widen a bit after ex- the extended tour with Dylan. Playing with Dylan also made the Heartbreakers looser. It's really easy to forget that Petty, Mike Campbell, Ben Tench, Howie Epstein, and Stan Lynch were a great rock band. One that had played hundreds, if not a thousand plus shows together. They were one of the tightest bands going, but that was of no benefit to you when you played with Dylan. He would change songs on the fly. He'd drop choruses. He'd change lyrics. He would add new verses. He would change chords. He would play songs that no one, including the audience or the band behind him, had ever heard before. <laughs> because Bob Dylan. <laughs> because it's, cause, cause it's Bob. So you just kind of have to just grab the reins and hang on as best you can, <laughs> I guess, to playing with, with Bob Dylan. And I, I remember a story Ben Tench told once where they were about to walk on stage and Bob grabbed him and said, hey, uh. Do you know? And he 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 cited some very obscure deep cut of his. And ben Mont was like, "Yeah, I, I actually do remember that one." And Bob said, "All right, well, uh, just you and I are going to play that. I'll make everybody else leave the stage. <laughs> just kicked them out. Not, not on the set list. Yeah, just just on the fly. Like, hey, let's do this song, but it'll just be me and you. I'll I'll tell you know Tom to go out back and smoke one or whatever." Campbell, Mike Campbell, uh, Tom Petty's guitar player, actually recounted having to try to stand close enough to Dylan to see his hands on the guitar to know what he was playing, then twisting around his guitar toward petty so that Tom could follow him. Oh, that wow. That's the extent to which, I mean, it was just grab on and hang tight when you was Dylan. And so, Campbell, Campbell played with Fleetwood Mac, didn't he? Yes. Yes, he did. After, after uh, Tom passed away, he, he certainly did. Right, I yeah. think he he kind of, guitar-wise, he kind of replaced Lindsey Buckingham when they fired him.
6: Yeah, that's a good point.
5: Yeah. Uh, But he said he would actually have to sit there, watch, get on the stage where he could see Dylan's hands on the guitar so he would know what to play, then turn his body and his guitar toward Tom Petty so that Tom could see what he was playing. That's hilarious. So that that he could keep up. The tour was important for practical reasons for Tom that we'll get into later in the series. But it also benefited Petty in terms of friendships that he would make, which we're going to get into right now. In attendance at several of the shows of the European leg of that tour were Jeff Lynn and George Harrison. They would hang out with Dylan and Petty after shows, and Petty said he quickly became friends with the two. A bit later, it wasn't uncommon for one or both of them to knock on the door of his house unannounced with a case of beer in tow.
6: Well, I mean, when in Rome?
5: I mean, if a Beatle shows up and wants to get drunk at your house, I mean, I don't Thank you. Tell him no.
4: I think you would break your, your drinking rule for that one, right? Oh, yeah. No, there's yeah. like there's like three people that I'll break my drinking rule, in fact. And four of them are be and, and, <laughs> and so you guys know, it's like I'm not against drinking. It's just I haven't found a liquor that I I happily imbibe as a joyful thing, and I've got too much crap to do. So if I get drunk, there's the not, like the last time I actually like drank and got drunk I had a hangover that lasted like three days, and I had only had like two drinks. So but you'd crack one for a beetle. I'd
5: crack. So yeah, one. she yeah. would, and I mean, yeah, no, uh, she's she is uh, she's not like an angry teetotaler. She just doesn't drink. It's it's straight uh, Turkish opium for LD. I mean, that's all she <laughs> does.
4: Yeah, I'll I've like never seen her.
5: i I seldom see her touch anything else.
4: I, I, I just uh, smoke straight hookah. We at rock and roll heaven, too. <laughs>
5: <laughs> Petty said that there was at least one occasion, but probably more when the three would sit around his living room playing ukuleles until early in the morning. Oh, if only that wound up on tape somewhere. Oh, my God. Harrison, in fact, told Petty that he hoped he realized that, quote, now that you're in my life, I am never letting you go. (laughs) Petty's daughter, Adria, said the relationship was good for her father, who took up meditation and seemed more at peace generally once he met George. She called Harrison, quote, an angel, and the two families apparently spent almost every Christmas together henceforth for the rest of George's life. Oh, that's amazing. On the tour, though, they gave Petty a copy of Cloud Nine. Now, he loved the record, and he really loved the production. He thought that Lynn might be somebody that he would like to work with at some point, but as soon as he came off the road with Dylan, he and the Heartbreakers went back out on the road themselves for a short time. By 1988, Petty had been on a decade-plus schedule of album tour, album tour, and said, quote, I wanted to lie down, so he was going to chill for a while in California. This is probably the nexus of the mistold Wilbury legend about the magical kismet, divine intervention, or wacky happenstance of the five musicians being brought together by a traffic light. (laughs) Jeff Lynn did, in fact, see Tom Petty at a stoplight, (laughs) and he did pull over to say hello. Petty, who was supposed to be on break and really had no plans to record anything in the the immediate future, told Lynn how much he enjoyed Cloud Nine and told him that he'd like to work with him at some point. Lynn was actually working then on an album with Roy Orbison, who had recently moved to California. Now, in the late 50s through the mid 60s, Orbison was one of the biggest stars in music in the world, scoring more than 20 hits for Sun Records where he was label mates with Johnny Cash, Jerry Lee Lewis, and Elvis Presley. After a series of personal tragedies and some career stagnation, though, he had gone more than 20 years without much of the hit to his credit, though he was very strangely still huge in places like Bulgaria, for whatever reason. I love their he was, <laughs> uh, they, I mean, Bulgarians love Roy Orbison. <laughs> he was largely forgotten in his home country. That started to change a little bit in the 1980s when Van Halen, Don McLean, and others started to have hits with remakes of his songs. Without permission, director David Lynch also made prominent use of his song In Dreams in the movie Blue Velvet. Oh, he didn't get permission for that? Uh, no. He, he actually asked and wow. Roy told him no, and he used it anyway. <laughs> Well, uh, famous admirers of his work also helped to boost his career with Bruce Springsteen, Elvis Costello, Bonnie Raitt, Jackson Brown, Elvis Presley's TCB band and others joining him for the concert, A Black and White Night in Los Angeles. Anyone we've heard of? I mean, I, again, I mean, a few uh, obscure indie artists pitched in. It's is what it sounds like to me. The Springsteen person and whoever the other that Bonnie Raitt was. Yeah, not, not so yeah. sure. I'm not really familiar with their work, but I'm, I'm I'm sure they're they're decent pickers or or whatever.
4: Also, can we just take a take a second to be a little angry that not because she has one, but because others don't that Bonnie Raitt is the only female guitarist to have a Fender named after her. She is, yeah,
5: yeah. I there should be if, others for there sure. There
4: should be a there should be a lot more. So I would
5: say I would say Nancy Wilson uh, Wilson should have one, but I I don't know that she plays Fenders. That would be the only. You know what I mean? Like, maybe she plays something else, but fair. She's somebody who definitely should, and I can certainly think about it. Oh, absolutely.
4: AT, hey, I hate to interrupt, but we do need to take a short sponsor break. And we are back.
5: Okay, let's get back into the life and times of the great Tom Petty and his supergroup, the Traveling Wilburys. That show, which saw Billy Idol, David Lynch, Patrick Swayze, Billy Bob Thornton, and a slew of other stars in the audience, was broadcast on Cinemax and released on home video. Len had tried to get Orbison, who was one of his great musical heroes, in the studio to work on an album with him for years. So when Orbison called him and said, I'm in California now, let's make a record, Len jumped at the chance. So Len would now be doing Double Duty. He was working on Orbison's album, but he was also working on songs with Tom Petty, who still didn't really have any intention or plan for what the two were working on. Petty and Lynn ended up jamming and worked out a little song that Petty had an idea for that you might be familiar with called Free Falling." Yeah, yeah, I've heard of that one. <laughs> they laid down the tracks in the garage studio of Heartbreakers guitarist Mike Campbell. At some point, there was cross-pollinization with Lynn and Petty working with Orbison. In fact, both Randy Newman and Dell Shannon ended up coming <laughs> by and working with the group on songs for their upcoming albums. Now, Orbison would end up singing background on one album cut with Petty, but Petty co-wrote two songs for Orbison's album, along with Lynn. In fact, several of the Heartbreakers would end up contributing, and some of the work was done in Mike Campbell's garage. Now, it is very weird to open a series on Tom Petty, with the first song being by someone other than Tom Petty. (laughs) But he co-wrote this song, he sings background vocals, and plays acoustic guitar, and... He cites this as one of the favorite times, his favorite times of his entire career. It was also the last big hit of Orbison's career, though he would sadly not be around to see it himself. Hmm. We'll get to that sad story a little bit later. But right now, let's listen to that collaboration. So we're going to take our first musical break. This is the great Roy Orbison with a fantastic song called You Got It.
0: Every time I look about
5: pretty much a perfect song it is that is that the first group sing-along that we've ever <laughs> it might have been i
4: i feel like there have been other ones that we've had or like separately like oh you know t you'll sing it or i'll sing it we'll sing it but no i think pretty much we we all grooved to that one it surprisingly did not happen during the rush series i was i was shocked at least you didn't play necromancer
6: don't don't tempt me there's still time I mean, there's still time. Can we can go time.
7: back.
6: <laughs> we can double back. We can do a we I, can do a part two. Don't tempt him. I, I I will say that in researching the Wilburys, which I had to do because of something TJ will reveal anon. Um, oh my god! Did you just use I did burn it at work. I did.
4: Oh my god!
6: I I will say Roy's catalog was almost the biggest surprise for me going back to it because I wasn't tremendously exposed to it. I know LD is a big Roy fan,
4: mm-hmm. um,
6: but those vocals, oh.
4: I mean, our cat, is, our cat is named after Roy Orbison, yes, it's Roy
5: Orbison. Mm-hmm. in an indirect way. And we'll get to, to to that in just a few minutes here. Yes.
4: But like, so, like, so we love, we love, we love Roy in this house. Well, this
5: is Roy, or, Roy, Roy, Roy Orbison's fantastic. There, there's been, well, that's one of the best voices in the history of rock and roll in my opinion. Yeah, okay.
4: Obviously.
2: Or,
5: now Orbison didn't get to see the song become a hit, but he was definitely proud of it. When Lynn played him the finished product uh, for both he and his family, Orbison reportedly wept. Oh, yep. So now it started to occur to Petty that the work he was doing with Lynn was in fact an album. All the heartbreakers aside from drummer Stan Lynch would end up contributing to some extent, but we'll come back to that later. Now Harrison's cloud nine was a bit, a big success and it already produced a pair of hits. So his record company was releasing a third single. This is love. Back then the standard practice was to put a second song on 12-inch singles for European release. That is why aficionados and collectors in the United States were so keen on buying imports because they'd have songs that were not available in North America. Nice. See,
4: that's what we were talking about when we were in Amoeba and we were in like the use section. I was like checking out the track lists.
5: Right.
6: Yeah, more, more obscure. Yeah.
5: Now, Harrison was in Los Angeles and he phoned Lynn asking if the two could meet up. Lynn invited him to dinner that night with both he and Orbison. Harrison and Orbison had known each other for a very long time, with Orbison having mounted a tour of Europe with the Beatles and Jerry and the Pacemakers in the early 1960s. Hey,
4: T, didn't Dusty do the same thing?
5: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Harrison told Lynn he needed to knock out a song the next day as a B-side for the European release of This Is Love, but that he really didn't have any songs to record. He asked if Lynn would help. Lynn agreed to do so, with Orbison saying that he'd like to tag along while the two worked. The only problem, as Lynn saw it, was finding a studio on such short notice. Harrison had an idea to call his old buddy Bob Dylan, who had a garage studio in his home. This is actually where the stars did line up a bit to grease the skids for the Wilbur's project to get started. Harrison said, quote, sometimes you could call Bob and not get him for two or three years. But he answered (laughs) on the first ring and said, sure, come on over.
4: It's <laughs> a great description I, I feel yeah. like I've done that too, Like I'll just not call someone back for three years. Mm-hmm.
5: <laughs> Harrison, has already mentioned, had been hanging out quite a lot with Tom Petty, and he had left a guitar at his house. He would go to retrieve it, told Tom what the plan was, and got the response quote, "Good, I wondered what I was doing tomorrow. So Harrison, <laughs> Lynn, Petty, and Orbison showed up at Bob Dylan's house the next day. <laughs> Harrison and Lynn worked up a tune pretty quickly, but there were no lyrics. Quote, I'm surrounded by songwriters. Somebody give me lyrics, Harrison said. The others, all of them were sitting around Dylan's garden, were happy to help, but said they needed some guidance on what the song was about. Harrison looked around and saw a big crate in Dylan's garage with a sticker on the side that said, Handle with Care.
4: Ah, yes.
5: (laughs) It's called Handle with Care, Harrison announced.
4: Are you just looking at things around the room and naming stuff? Not a song about an octopus.
5: <laughs> yes. From then on, it, it, everything came easy. Everyone contributed lines. And while nobody really remembers exactly who came up with what, Tom Petty distinctly remembered throwing out the line, oh, the sweet smell of success. The song was finished by the end of the day. What? And this was the result. Here's what Harrison said was just supposed to be a european b-side this is handle with care
4: which is one of the best songs of all time
1: being beat up and battered around being sent up and i've been shut down The situation's terrible But baby
4: This music video,
5: I think they released he one was, after his death. Yeah. He, now he, he appears in that one, he doesn't appear in End of the Line. Uh,
4: there you go. I, I think
6: it's
5: all when
6: I say I never tire of that song. That's,
5: never, I've I've heard that song, I, I'm not exaggerating, I've heard that song literally hundreds of times, and I, I, I never get tired of it. Still
4: amazing. Well, here's the thing that song is in my top 10 songs of all time. It's, it's perfect, time. it's perfect. It's that there's not, there's literally point to song like. My favorite line is reputation's changeable, situations tolerable, but baby, you're adorable. I I'm love that too. song. Like I love that, I love that lyric. Love it.
5: And and the way they trade the lyrics off, and the way you know Bob and Tom kick in and sing the yeah, you know, sing the chorus and stuff, and Roy's angelic voice <laughs> drops in weird. every once in a while. It's like, oh my God, this is like this is this is amazing. Yes yep there's there is it, 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 it is quite there. literally it is it it is that is like that is a perfect rock song there's, like there's not there is without flaw in my opinion
4: you can't change anything if you if you it's like a jenga tower that has been built up so perfectly if you pulled out the wrong log it would fall apart and, and
5: you pull you said pull a log <laughs>
4: oh, and and we're moving on <laughs> <laughs>
5: Okay, when Harrison presented that song that we just heard to his record label, they quickly told him it was far too good to be stuck on the B-side of a European single, particularly given who took part in making the track to start with. (laughs) They all but begged him for a whole album. He asked all the guys if they were game, and all of them said they were. Now, there are a lot of people who don't believe that Harrison ever intended for Handle With Care to be a B-side. The reason he had to know that a song that good made by that, those five people had no place in an import band. There are theories by some that it was essentially a test run to see if the five could work well together. Tom Petty, in fact, said, quote, none of this would have happened without him. It was George's band. It was always George's band. And it was a dream he had for a long time. Petty also said it was Harrison's vision to handpick, quote, the perfect little band but the real criteria for joining had a lot more to do with who he enjoyed hanging out with more so than anything musical. But then Tom would also pivot and say, eh, but you know, you couldn't have planned this, but <laughs> George planned it. You just said it. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of contradictory. He, he, right. Right. So now there are parts of it. You couldn't have planned. Like the five of them all happening to be in California at the same time. Bob actually sure. answering his phone when he sometimes might do that for not, may not for two or three years, but uh, that's so things to of to that be, nature.
6: That strikes me as the sort of, you know, the, the one element that everything hinged on was Bob picking up the
5: phone. Well, yes, Bob picked up the phone and, and let them come record in his garage. <laughs> yes, yeah, pretty much. Okay, so on that very first day, the five bonded on their shared love of the British comedy troupe Monty Python. Hey! Not- mm-hmm. Orbison apparently did excellent impersonations of Monty Python characters and could recite entire Monty Python skits from memory. I would have paid so much to see that. Interestingly, Harrison said in an interview, he had not particularly cared for many of the supergroups that had preceded his. Quote, most of them weren't very good. Just because you put famous people together doesn't mean that it's going to be any good, he said. Now, this is where I want to uh, jump off the script just a a little bit. The Wilburys are obviously one of the best known supergroups in the history of music. I was wondering if you guys have any other favorites. It's funny that you ask. But, and just, just to p- pitch a couple out of recent Vantage, you would have, uh, you, you, y'all can help me if I'm leaving any out, like um, Chicken Foot, Them Crooked Vultures, Audio Slave, Velvet Revolver. Uh, I was
6: going to say Velvet Revolver, Bad Company.
5: Uh, before uh, Then you get, go back a little bit before that, and you're talking about, like, Damn Yankees, RTZ, Bad English, Power Station, and then, then the 70s were kind of the heyday of the big super group. But like ELP, right? Right.
4: Yeah. Well, I, I actually love Nick Cave and the Bad Seed. Uh, their album Murder Ballads is awesome. Uh, Me First and the Gimme give Oh, that's right. That's another one I really like. I assume, T, that you like Rebel meet Rebel.
5: I don't even know who that is.
4: Really? You don't know the band with David Allen (laughs) Coe?
5: I missed that one somehow. Sorry.
4: Holy crap.
6: I mean, there's really two that stand out. One from earlier and one from a more modern era. I mean, Blind Faith. Holy crap. Blind Faith.
5: Blind Faith, uh, obviously. You could do a whole list just of Eric Clapton supergroups, by the way.
4: The Foo Fighters are technically a supergroup, so I can go with them. It's a good one. Sure.
5: I actually have a top four that's pretty definitive and under themselves to make. If I was going to pick a fifth one, Bad Company would be fifth because I, I really I love Bad Company early, or, original Bad Company. And
4: wait, wait, what was the what was the one that was uh, Chris Cornell was in? There's Audio
5: I, Slave, Audio Slave. No, I thought it was the Dog, dogs. Temple of the Dog. We've them both. <laughs> temple of the Dog. Temple of the Dog. <laughs> the dog I, I, I've I always I vacillate a little on whether I should they should be considered a super group because when they recorded that, I don't think anybody knew who they were. Well, I, I think the correct... After the fact, it kind of became a super group. Am I, am I remembering that correctly?
6: And then you have outfits like Velvet Revolver, which is basically a band switch out one member.
5: Um, right.
4: And yeah. also you have ABBA.
5: Yeah, is a super group. ABBA is a super group. I would say Bad Company would probably be fifth. I would put like uh, Crosby, Steel, Snash, and Young would probably be about fourth for me. Oh, yeah, they've got to make the list. Um, I, w- I would put... I'm going to put Cream third and based on the quality of their music, they might should be higher than that. But the one caveat, A, there was only three of them. <laughs> and yep. the other thing is, I don't know how how super famous at the time uh, Ginger, Baker, and Jack Bruce were.
6: Which is criminal because Baker's considered one of the best drummers who ever lived.
5: Right. I, okay. I, now, Cla- Clapton was the big established name and they were well known, I think, more in their native country at the time, but they became obviously very well known.
4: I've got to go with the firm because the that had Paul Rogers, Paul Rogers, yeah, Jimmy Page, Tony yep. Franklin, and Chris Slade of Manford Man's Earth Band.
5: <laughs> there is, the first will, will probably be two references. <laughs> Manford Man Earth Band. <laughs> Thank you for keeping the therefore our Manford Man's Earth Band reference of the podcast has been satisfied And we'll <laughs> be again. Uh, <laughs> well, and we're we'll
4: gonna
6: satisfy again. it twice tonight, baby. All right, all
5: right, we're gonna hit it twice. Um, okay. Oh, so, right. Um, now I have two that stand head and shoulders above everybody else. One is the Highwaymen, yeah, and then the other is the the band we're currently talking about. Um, yeah. I think you know, w- with the Highwaymen, if you don't have one of those four guys on your Mount Rushmore of country music, or you don't at least consider all four of them for it. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm saying that you eat your own boogers and crap in your mailbox.
4: That's fair. But, you know, there's this ongoing chat that we need to have about which band is sexier, the Traveling Wilburys
5: or the Highwaymen. <laughs> I, <laughs> think, I think that uh, Will and I are, are perfectly um, content to allow you to decide that on your own.
4: I mean, okay, let me break it down for you, okay? You got, yeah. in the Traveling yeah. Wilburys, you have uh, Jeff Lynne roy Orbison, right. tom petty jeff
5: Lynne, who looks for all the world like fozzie bear
4: yep yep he he looks like he should be in a 1970s adult film <laughs> uh you have tom petty bob dylan uh george harrison and roy orbison i have said in the past that uh tom petty is one of the sexiest men in my opinion uh i don't know what it is really yeah, oh, yeah. Woo, now, yeah. Now, how much of that is
6: he, he's, you know, a rock star? No. Or, or, I mean, if he was your waiter at Applebee's, would you be like, mm-mm?
4: I probably would. He's kind of, he's still pretty sexy. Okay. I don't. I don't Fair know. Enough. Have you looked at yourself in the mirror?
6: I try not to. It brings me sadness.
4: I mean... Well, there you go. If you were my server at Applebee's, I'd probably hit on you too. Nice.
6: <laughs> I have something in common with Tom but, Petty.
4: But here's the thing The Highwaymen had Johnny Cash, Waylon Jennings, Willie Nelson, and Chris Christofferson. And Chris Christofferson would probably be the hottest guy. But if you put Chris Christofferson next to Tom Petty, I'm putting the two sexiest ones together. I would still have to go with Tom Petty. Therefore, the Traveling Wilburys, in my opinion, are the sexiest.
5: The, wow. the 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 discussion we used to have was which was the butt uglier. Band. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I mean Willie uh, Nelson's really dragging it down, but so is Bob Dylan. I mean, <laughs> neither.
5: But are them I, I feel like I feel like the, the Highwaymen. First of all, the albums they put out were fantastic. I, I love all four of them individually. Um, and then the, yeah, and I would I would probably give a slight edge to the Wilburys. And the only reason I would give it to them is because there's five of them and there's only four of the Highwaymen. <laughs> That's the only thing enough, that separates yeah. them in my mind.
4: I mean, you got you got a beetle and you've got Tom Petty, so really, yeah. Oh, I'm uh, sorry, but
6: but but who would win in a bar brawl? I'm going the Highwayman. I'm
4: going to go Highwayman. Oh, oh the
5: high, oh God, uh, Waylon wins it by himself, I think. Christopherson,
4: Chris Christopherson, the man who has
5: golden gloves. I uh-huh. was a golden glove boxer, right? Yeah, I'm going to go with i was going to go with the Highwayman. Probably go. I'm probably going to go with them. Yeah. Yeah. The Wilburys don't don't strike me as fighters. No, those. they're
6: they're lovers. Yeah. No, no. Right. There is a super group we did not mention, and I want to bring them up because it's an era that I enjoy and TJ, I know you're a fan of the grunge era and that was Mad Season.
5: Remember okay. that? I uh, do not actually. Was,
6: the two guys from Pearl Jam was Mike McCready, but the lead singer was uh, the late Lane Staley.
4: Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. They okay. Had, um, Which you are, not to tip our hand, but mm-hmm. you will be covering later this year. I'm
6: a huge Allison Chains fan. TJ, I know you are too, and yes, Lane. Uh, okay. Yes, sir. I- my heavy hitters. Oh yeah, man. Yeah.
5: Okay, so yeah, I just kind of wondered what you you guys' thoughts on uh, super groups were. I I think some of what um, George says there is correct. I think just because you mash a bunch of famous people together into a group doesn't mean it's going to be any good. Yeah,
4: but it also is uh, is how how well do they work together? It's it, right. there, there's got to be with a supergroup, there just can't be a face like with right. Velvet Revolver. I know Slash is in Velvet Revolver, so but, it's like it, there just can't be. A singular face to it and so they've got to they've got to have these pieces that work together as a cohesion right. and really it's honestly it's putting it's yeah it's chemistry it's putting your ego aside and becoming a collaborative that's a
5: huge but that's an enormous part of, of the process right there you just touched on it you're taking three four or five people who are already really really famous and in a lot of cases are probably used to kind of having their own way and doing things the way they want to musically and now you've got to collaborate and check your ego a little bit that's probably the biggest stumbling block really yeah okay so the only thing working against the Wilburys was time Bob Dylan wanted to participate but was also booked to head out on tour in less than two weeks Harrison reasoned that with Handle with Care having been knocked out in one day the band just had to duplicate that nine more times to have an album. <laughs> so for nine days The group would hole up at the home of David A. Stewart of the Eurythmics.
4: (laughs) Oh my God. Did they just,
5: did God throw
4: darts at like a phone book of famous people? And you're like, that's kind of
5: what this seems like. It kind of feels like it. Yeah. It's a rock map. Yeah. David A. Stewart kind of came into the picture because Tom Petty had recently worked with him on his Southern Accents album. One thing had to be addressed right up front though. And Harrison did the honors. Quote, Look, we know that you're Bob Dylan and everything, but we're <laughs> we're going to treat you, we're going to just treat you and talk to you like we would anyone else. Harrison said. Dylan's response: "Quote, well, great. Believe it or not, I'm in all of you guys, and it's the same for me." He said. And actually, he probably said, "Well, great. Believe it or not, I mean, oh, you guys, it's the same for me. It's exactly how it sounded. Know, it's, it's remarkable.
4: It is like Bob Dylan is has visited our podcast." <laughs> he
5: so, yes, jo- George Harrison felt the need to say, we know that you're Bob Dylan and everything, but we're oh, going really? oh, to just oh, treat you and talk to you. Wait, wait, wait
4: wait, you. wait, 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 wait. Bob Dylan said something, and so George
5: Harrison said what? Look, we know you're Bob Dylan and everything, but we're going to just treat you and talk to you like we would anyone else. Like he's here. <laughs> yep. He's well, in- great, believe it or not, I mean, know if you guys need to for me, Dylan's. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
2: Uh, in I'm fact, in. <laughs> please, do,
5: yes. please, impression? Please, please, please leave me, on
4: please, please, my on Dylan. one day.
5: Leave my um, um, leave my horrible <laughs> Dylan or my horrible George Harrison, but my, but my pretty good Bob Dylan in. I want people to hear that. <laughs> it is great. Yeah. No, no, it
6: doesn't. In it does fact, lar- it largely seems like Harrison is sort of orchestrating this whole thing. In yes, he
5: yeah, he is, and that that becomes very clear here, in, very shortly. Um, in fact, the other four were all in awe of Roy Orbison. They would punch each other and as he sang and often say, quote, hey man, he's in our band. <laughs> he is the best but, vocalist.
6: There's no question. But,
5: yes, he's the best vocalist. But Roy is regarded by pretty much everybody as one of the nicest people to ever live and being very non-pretentious. Bob can be prickly, <laughs> we'll say. <laughs> so I guess I, I guess that George felt like that needed to be addressed. <laughs> but he was totally down with just being one of the guys in the extremely laid-back sessions. Now, Petty's daughter, Adria, told Rick Rubin on his podcast, Broken Record, that her dad really didn't view himself in some ways as being on in the same league as the other guys in the room, or with his friends, Del Shannon or Roger McGuinn. Those were his idols, but he obviously belonged in their midst. And personal conjecture here, maybe being one of the Wilburys, kind of anointed him in the eyes of everybody else. And so like, yes, this, this, this guy belongs with us. Tom had apparently was like, I mean, I'm not Bob and I'm not a beetle and I'm not Roy Orbison and all this stuff, but you know, he did belong in that room, whether he felt that way or not. And maybe him being part of that group kind of showed everybody else, like, this guy is one of us. He belongs in this room with us. That's kind of how I've I've always looked at it. The group would sit around David A. Stewart's kitchen table with their guitars and work out tunes. They'd usually concoct lyrics over meals, then would pile into Stewart's small studio to record. Harrison was basically the band leader, so he would sort of audition everyone for each song. Petty said that could be a hair intimidating, particularly if Orbison had just sang a song Then Harrison said, quote, Okay, Tom, you give it a go now. Yeah, you totally don't want to follow Roy Orbison to the mic. I'm thinking. No, 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 you do not. No. Harrison would then basically choose who was going to sing lead on each song. The only exception was the song Not Alone Anymore, which they specifically wrote for Roy Orbison to sing. And it's a beautiful song.
6: It is incredible. Yeah.
5: yeah. Yeah. Dylan took Uh, What would be described as the lead in terms of singing the verses anyway on three songs, Harrison two, with Petty, Orbison, and Lynn basically taking one each and then two songs, Margarita and End of the Line, being full-on trade-offs vocally. All that in itself is interesting since Dylan, a great songwriter with a voice that suits his style of music, would be considered the fifth best vocalist of the five by any traditional measure. And Orbison would clearly be first by a long distance. Do y'all agree with that that first and that fifth? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But with one exception, everyone contributed vocally on every song. In the tiny bit of downtime they had, what with them having to write and lay down nine songs in nine days, Mm -hmm. Orbison would often regale the others with stories of working with Elvis and the other stars of Sun Records. You may wonder about the inspiration for some of the songs or how particular lyrics came to be. For instance, at the end of Dirty World, the guys trade off a long list of, he loves yours. For instance, he loves your red bell peppers. He loves your fuel injection. He loves your service charge. Harrison brought a stack of magazines into the studio and had everyone pick out random lines from stories and advertisements. And (laughs) that's where they got those lines from. That's just from random magazines? Yes, just big stack of magazines. I think most of them were car magazines. Which is why they, you know, it leans heavy on he loves your fuel injection. He mm-hmm. loves your five-speed <laughs> gearbox.
4: And then somebody was making fun of I'm in love with my car. Right. The Roger Taylor classic. The Roger Taylor classic. Did you make
5: bunny ears around classic or did you... I'm just...
4: Oh, yes. they were bunny ears. And okay, good. Strategically placed bunny ears waving manically in the air.
5: Now... Uh, amidst uh, uh, all those, you do hear Orbison quiver. He loves your trembling Wilbury during that portion of the song. That was actually Harrison's original idea for the band name. The trembling Wilburys? Yes, the trembling Wilburys, but Lynn suggested a change to traveling and, and George agreed that sounded better. Then, of course, there is Tweeter and the Monkey Man. Yay! Unless you have literally lived in a treehouse <laughs> for the last 50 years with your only form of communication being carrier pigeons and loud hollering on yonder hilltop <laughs> or you just don't pay attention to lyrics it is hard to miss the fact that the song appears to make an awful lot of references to bruce springsteen just a few yeah first of all the song is set in new jersey and it name drops rawway prison and jersey city yeah. It employs much of the same imagery Springsteen leans on, including fast cars and an abandoned factory. In fact, the titles of at least seven Bruce Springsteen songs are used in the lyrics of Tweeter and the Monkey Man, (laughs) including Stolen Car, Mansion on the Hill, Thunder Road, State Trooper, Factory, The River, and Jersey Girl. Somehow, it also references Paradise and Lion's Den, which are Springsteen songs released after the first Traveling Wilburys* album came out. <laughs> so they were, they were fans, I'm guessing. Uh, I guess so. One song noticeably absent in the lyrics is Springsteen's opus Blinded by the Light, which was famously covered by Manfred Mann's Earth Band. <laughs> Ooh, there it is, ladies and gentlemen, our federally mandated Manfred Mann's Earth Band reference of the podcast has been satisfied twice. Ooh, that's two times. I get it. Two times. It,
4: it, it's a Menage a Manfred Man.
5: It's a Manfred Manjatois. <laughs> <laughs> Our federally <laughs> man, David. <laughs> Manfred Manjatois. <laughs> that
6: that, that word is made up. All oh, words are made up.
5: <laughs> um, Harrison said Petty and Dylan were mostly responsible for the song as it came out of a discussion about, quote, americana kind of stuff that he and lynn didn't really understand those two though did come up with the the chorus line and the walls came down all the way to hell Mm -hmm. some say the song is an homage to springsteen others feel it is almost a parody of some of his early work it definitely seems like they're taking a little bit of a piss on bruce to me maybe Uh, how how have you ever how how have you interpreted it well you're you're a springsteen uh, fan and a jersey native
6: uh yes of course and and you know given the material and again what they're citing you'd have to be a fan on some level and parody is the highest form of flattery so and and I,
5: i would i would point out tom tom and bruce springsteen were friends yeah that's right they were yeah i don't know i don't know if he if if bob and bruce are
6: I don't. I know they've played together, from the best of my knowledge, but I don't know if they well they talking. they they might be, and it may have just been they were just poking a little fun at him,
5: or or, yeah. or whatever. Again, um, I
6: think it comes from a place of reverence. I mean, you would have to know his catalog, you'd have to understand his style, And like you said. They sort of steered in that direction with this tune, so I I think it's a a very high compliment to uh, the boss. Yeah.
5: Now now, Petty denied that that it was a reference to Springsteen at all, which seems <laughs> silly to me, but saying it was about Americana imagery, to which the publication, no depression ah, surmised...
4: I hate that word. What's that? Honey, do you, do you care to bestow on my brother which yeah, word I she, hate? She
6: despises the word Americana. I can't state
5: uh, it. Uh, was, I'm sorry, but that's, I'm, I'm quoting here, so. That's, that's, that's what he called it, Americana imagery, to which the publication, no depression surmised, that Petty had learned how to not answer a question from his new mentor, Bob Dylan, a master of that art. interestingly it is the only song on the record to not feature vocals of all five members with Orbison sitting that one out for some reason just weird yeah. yeah. I tell you what because I love that song and because we talked a lot about it just now and because LD hates the word Americana we're gonna play uh that song so this is uh, one of my absolute favorites uh, actually from the uh, volume one traveling Wilbur's album we're gonna hear it now this is tweeter and the monkey man
4: Yeah. And by the way, just uh, for future reference, I also hate the phrase conversation piece.
5: Yes, sir. In Jersey, everything's legal as long as you don't get no caught.
6: <laughs> well, a few things happened during that song. One, we did realize that Jeff Lynn looks like James Brolin in the Amityville horror film. <laughs> okay. uh, the, the other is that I can, that song, I, yes, the lyrics are very Springsteen esque, but the music is Dylan. I mean, you can hear Dylan all over that
5: thing. Sure. Yeah. And the, it's interesting thing, the vocal on that one is was done in one take all the way through on his second try. Really? Yep. Wow. And George Harrison said, so that, so basically, and there's a a little short documentary, I think it's called the true story of the traveling Wilburys or something like that. You can find it on YouTube, but you'll see Bob in the studio taking his first stab at it. And a couple of the, the, a few words here and there are a little bit different. And Bob sang it all the way through, he made a couple of changes then he nailed what you just hear in one try. I I believe that. Uh, And George said that Bob writes so tiny, no one else could read his lyrics. (laughs) So so it's this this tiny little writing that only Bob could read somehow. So if you've ever read the liner notes and credits on the album that we're talking about, which is Traveling Wilbur's volume one, you've noticed several things. First of all, the entire group gets songwriting credit for every song. However there might be a clue about who the primary songwriter was for each track based on whose publishing company holds the rights. Using that as a guide, Harrison's Umlaut Corporation is credited for Handle With Care, Heading for the Light, End of the Line, and the bonus track, Maxine. Hmm. Dylan, via special writer music, has Dirty World, Tweeter and the Monkey Man, Congratulations, and the bonus track, Like a Ship. Petty's Gone Gator music, has last night and margarita and Lynn's shard end music holds rattled and not alone anymore one other thing that sticks out is that not one of the band members has his name appear anywhere in the credits anywhere on the album mm-hmm. huh. george is listed as nelson wilbury huh. lynn is otis wilbury petty is charlie t wilbury jr orbison is Lestie wilbury your hey. cat's name fake Mm -hmm. And Dylan is Lucky Wilbury. Jim Keltner, who would add drums and percussion in post-production, would actually be listed as, quote, Buster Sideberry.
6: (laughs) That's kind of funny.
5: The idea was that the group was comprised of half-brothers, sons of fictional traveling musician Charles Truscott Wilbury Sr. Orbison actually stayed in character during promotion for the record, saying, quote, some people say Daddy was a cad and a bounder, but I remember him as a Baptist minister. The liner notes, I, I think this qualifies as a fun fact. Fun fact! The liner notes for the album were written by Hugh Jamston. That's a pseudonym of Michael Palin. No! Yup. Nice! Wow! Michael Palin wrote the liner notes on Traveling Wilburys Volume 1.
4: I want I want to hear your Michael Palin impersonation.
5: Mine or mine Will. Yeah, I, yours, I can't. Yours. I can't do it, Palin.
4: I need to hear yours, T.
5: It's just going to be me screeching like a British woman. We okay? <laughs> <laughs> can save you the trouble. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Which I,
6: I, wrote the line, I wrote the line of notes for the is. It's, it's remarkable. It's
5: like he's in the room. That's spot on. If you don't think that not like Michael Palin, you can go to hell. And, and I think that was largely orchestrated by probably George again. Pro, uh, I, I think so, yes.
6: Even though Roy was a massive fan.
5: Now, Tom Petty apparently took lead on writing uh, one particular song and it's that I just mentioned, and it's a song where he is front and center vocally. So we're going to, even though we just took one to play, Twitter and the Monkey Man, let's take another one, because I love this song, and uh, this is one of the songs where Tom really vocally is front and center on the Wilburys album. So uh, let's just roll with that. Here are the Traveling Wilburys and Last Night.
1: the guitar
4: back and i
5: and they, they so that every
4: every song they're great every one thing. of them the hill that i will die on is that song sounds like it was a rejected jimmy buffett song kind, kind of, of. <laughs> I, it's a great song i'm just saying it sounds like something jimmy buffett would have done oh uh, okay it's got like that island flair to it, it got, ca- like, there you.
5: is kind of some kind of little caribbean feel to it or yeah. something I've, I've always kind of thought that too i can't totally put my finger on it but you're right i I hear the same thing yeah. but every, every song we have played so far they've all been great yeah yeah okay so after nine days the basic tracks for all the songs were complete
4: i can't do anything in nine days
5: <laughs> How do you they, make anything- they made they made, they, made they, rec- they recorded basically this album in nine days it's insane yeah, i
4: can't i can't anytime i hear about someone's ridiculous timeline like i think what john hughes wrote barris bueller's day off in like four days or something well and then cabin in the woods was written over a weekend and uh whatever
6: i, I, I will not reveal a whole lot here but our next series is going to have a timeline that, that'll blow your mind
4: I just it well, upsets me that you yeah. can have that much talent yeah that's i know, not, it's that's not, not, fair. not fair for the think, rest of us
5: think about well think about it this way it's not just that they knocked out the recording in nine days it's not but that they didn't go into it with songs already written and record them in nine days, that would be hard enough. They started with no songs. Yeah, they wrote them all. They wrote and recorded that these nine songs in nine days. Just insane. To, to go along with Handle With Care, which they had already done. Jeez. Now, uh, they did require some polishing since Lynn said what you basically had musically was vocals and the work of five rhythm guitar players. <laughs> it, in 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 the uh, david a stewart's little studio so jim keltner would do drums on nine songs and lynn and harrison produced the album both adding some electric guitar here and there and adding other instruments and sounds in six weeks they were done with the traveling wilburys volume one the album was an immediate hit it went to number one in six countries and was certified gold or platinum in seven countries including the united states where volume one sold more than three million copies. Jeez. This seems hard to believe, but that means that the album was the biggest seller that Bob Dylan was ever associated with.
6: <laughs> that is crazy cuz he has like a million albums.
5: He is that he's done something uh, pushing 40, I think studio albums. His biggest selling album ever is Traveling Wilburys Volume 1.
6: If it is in fact 40, Bob turned 80 this year. He's averaging an album every 2 years of his life. Yes. <laughs> That is insane. <laughs> oh,
5: the re- that the reviews were overwhelmingly positive, with Rolling Stone giving it four out of five stars, Entertainment Weekly grading it an A minus, and All Music giving it four and a half out of five stars. The band was hailed almost right out of the box as the greatest supergroup ever. The Rolling Stone magazine said they actually seemed to be the antithesis of the traditional supergroup, given the humor of the album and the lack of ego present in the project. Handle With Care was a top 10 song in four countries and hit number two on the US mainstream rock charts, as did its follow-up Into the Line. Harrison appeared on the Warner Brothers promotional Christmas album, Winter Warmerland, and was credited as Nelson Wilbury. Hmm. And by the way, okay, I guess this qualifies as a fun fact. fun fact. Fun fact! Paul Rubens contributed to that album as well and was credited as Pee Wee Wilbury. <laughs>
4: sorry i'm gonna need you to go a little deeper into
5: that Uh, go a little deeper into what
4: why Why?
5: warner brothers warner brothers put out a promotional christmas album and george contributed something for it and they didn't but they didn't credit him as george they they listed him as nelson wilbury and then paul rubens contributed something and they listed him as Wee wilbury that's that's all i know it just sounds like it's yeah i can't
4: i can't this my brain isn't processing the words that you're saying
6: it's really like a weird late
5: night show guest list tonight george harrison paul rubens the album was nominated for album of the year at the grammys and the wilburys did win a grammy for best rock performance by a duo or group with vocal
4: awesome
5: the next big question was whether or not the wilburys were going to tour there were a lot of hurdles to clear on that front Dylan was about to embark on his, quote, never-ending tour, which actually continues to this day. <laughs> Petty, Petty hadn't planned to do anything, but was now working on what would turn into a solo album. Orbison was working to finish up his comeback album, and Lynn was not only producing for Petty, Orbison, Del Shannon, and others, he was also planning to work on his debut solo album. Jeez. A bit later, Harrison said it was something he thought would be enjoyable and intriguing. He said the whole group could sing Bob Dylan's Blowing in the Wind or that Dylan could sing the Beatles something or, quote, we could just sing our individual songs and make them Wilbury tunes as if we recorded them that way. Whatever it was, we could do it. However, Harrison had not really toured at that point since 1974. (laughs) And And aside from a fairly brief tour of Japan in 1991, he really wouldn't again for the rest of his life. Oh, wow. The, in- the indication was that he'd sort of had his fill of life on the road and was just done with it. Petty at one point joked that he all but begged Harrison to tour saying, quote, George, it would be so much money. He also said the five never really considered it. Quote, there were a lot of nights when the conversation would roll around to that, but I don't think anybody ever took it seriously. I think it would ruin it in a way. Then you're obligated to be responsible. And it's not in our character. It's not in the character of that group. It would make it very formal, and that would be the wrong spirit, Petty said. The real intention of the project, as Petty saw it, was to bring some light and humor to a world that he said was increasingly dark and mean, and he felt they accomplished that.
6: Very nice. Which
5: which is a pretty nice sentiment. And I agree. (laughs) Yeah. Unfortunately, a tour of the five original members or another album by them would end up not being possible. In November of 1988, Mm -hmm. Orbison finished up his album, Mystery Girl. He was overjoyed at the success the Wilburys achieved, and he did live long enough to see volume one go platinum. Quote, it's very nice to be wanted again, but I still can't quite believe it, he said. He gave Rolling Stone in-depth access to his daily activities in his final months and said he was working on an autobiography that he hoped would be adapted into a film. He actually hoped that Martin Sheen would play him in the movie. Oh, wow. That would actually be a very
6: great casting.
5: Yes, it would. However, Orbison played a concert in Ohio on December 4th. He had lost a lot of weight recently in an effort to get in better shape and just to take care of himself, but he was still complaining of feeling very tired. He went back to his Tennessee home to rest up a bit as he was to travel to London to film two more Traveling Wilbur's videos. On December 6th, he flew model airplanes with his bus driver in the morning, went to lunch, then went to his mother's house where he suffered a fatal heart attack. Roy Orbison was just 52 years old, even though he looked 52 when he was 22. (laughs) I think we can agree. I love Roy Orbison to death. When he died, I thought he was like 80. He was born at 40, I think. I, I think so. Jeff Lynn said in an interview that Orbison's death was, quote, the most sickening thing to me. I was devastated for ages. Petty said that it was George Harrison who actually called him and told him about Orbison's passing, but reassured him, quote, it's okay, it's okay, he's still around, just listen. Orbison's album, Mystery Girl, was released in January of 1989 and featured contributions not only from Tom Petty, most of the Heartbreakers, and Jeff Lynne, but also George Harrison, and songwriting credits from Lynne, Petty, Bono, and The Edge. The album... Fully completed Orbison's career resurgence, hitting number one in four countries and going gold or platinum in 10 countries, including the United States, where it sold over 1 million copies. Roy Orbison became the first artist since his old friend Elvis Presley to posthumously have two albums in the top five at the same time, as volume one maintained its spot near the top of the Billboard charts at the time that Mystery Girl was released. Awesome. Awesome. In an homage to Orbison in the video for End of the Line, each time the song comes to his vocals, a rocking chair with his guitar sitting in it is shown alongside the other four singers, as was a picture of Orbison sitting on the table. I would also say that Tom said that the last time he ever talked to Roy was just a a day or two before he died, and that Roy was just giddy at the the success that he was having. And he just kept saying, ain't life grand. Ain't life grand. and Tom, <laughs> this was kind of funny though. Tom, uh, during that conversation, apparently said, I tell you, Roy, you must be the, the best singer in the world. To which Roy replied, Yeah, probably. <laughs> 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 but, but Tom said that the other four guys, when they were recording the album at David A. Stewart's house, literally every one of them hugged Roy and told him they loved him every day. I
4: already had to go through this one time. <laughs> I'm not, I can't. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I to this again. I'll,
5: I'll, I'll move along. Once the other four had finished up solo obligations, with Petty Lynn and Dylan all releasing solo albums, the group reconvened to record another album as the Wilburys. There was some thought that Del Shannon or maybe even Roger McGuinn might replace Orbison as the fifth Wilbury. Harrison said, though, that was all press speculation and that the band itself never considered bringing anyone else in. Quote, he could not be replaced, Harrison said of Orbison. At the outset of the sessions, the group did a cover of the Hank Snow standard Nobody's Child for a charity album benefiting Romanian orphans. Again, the band would work around Dylan's tour schedule and had a limited window of time in which to work. Dylan Dylan was recorded singing all the songs because he actually had to leave for the road before the recording sessions were completed. Harrison took a more active role in producing the album and in playing lead guitar. He ultimately decided to leave a lot of Dylan's vocals at the forefront uh, on many songs, and he ceded his own lead singing spots to Dylan and to Tom Petty, who was at the forefront of three songs on the second album. Jim Keltner, playing drums, and Jim Horn, playing saxophone, were both back as well, providing additional music in post-production. Petty called this album, quote, more rough and ready and raucous than the first, and Dylan said the songs were a bit more fleshed out, certainly more so than volume one, which he said was, quote, scraped out of jam tapes the album was dedicated to lefty wilbury and for the project the men all took on new names with lynn as clayton wilbury harrison as spike wilbury dylan as boo wilbury and petty as muddy wilbury Mm -hmm. and would you like another fun fact
4: fun Fun fact (laughs) except for that bob dylan's name sounds like a cereal that's only available at halloween boo
5: wilbury (laughs) The liner notes for the second *Traveling Wilburys* album were written by Professor Tiny Hampton, <laughs> aka Eric Idol, Who you have met? I have met
4: Eric Idol. Yes,
5: yes, I've seen photographic graphic evidence. She, she I, certainly has.
4: I, uh, I have a picture with me and Eric Idle, and I do believe there's another picture from that night with me and a can of Spam.
6: I, I love the the approach, though. You went up to and said, "Mr. Idle, can I get a picture?" And he goes, "With me or of me." <laughs> And it was with, and it was delightful.
5: Yes. Traveling Wilburys Volume 3 was released in October of 1990. Now, why that title? Lynn said that Harrison said, quote, let's confuse the buggers. (laughs) But it is also apparently an allusion to the fact that there was a bootleg that had circulated of the group, which Harrison reasoned could be considered Volume 2. The album maintained the same fun, mostly laid-back vibe as the first and the reviews were almost as good as the first one. Rolling Stone gave it three and a half stars, and it garnered several B-plus grades from critics. It didn't sell as well as its predecessor, but it did go gold or platinum in four countries, including the United States, where it sold over a million copies. Petty Lynn and Dylan all indicated they were interested in doing another Wilburys album, but Harrison apparently was not. In fact, he released almost no more music for the remainder of his life. Yeah. The Wilbury albums were actually out of print for a while, but were released in a box set in 2007 that included some bonus tracks and a DVD with a short documentary and the band's music videos. That made the Wilburys a hit all over again, with that box set hitting number one in four countries and going gold in the United States. Multiple publications recognized the Wilburys as music's greatest supergroup, with Rolling Stones saying the band contained, quote, three undeniable gods. In Harrison, Orbison, and Dylan. they were given credit for a renewed interest in Skiple music, and it is noted that many supergroups seem to spring up in the wake of the Wilburys. Petty and Lynn would continue to mix some Wilbury songs into their sets for years, and they would make uh, at least another at least one, maybe two more records together. Dylan never has included Wilbury songs in his sets and has rarely spoken publicly about his time in the Wilburys for whatever reason. Hmm. petty said the band worked because there was no interference from record labels producers or anyone else it all came about organically he also noted that it likely turned out as good as it did because it featured the best songwriter ever in dylan the best singer ever in orbison the best rock arranger ever in harrison and the best producer ever in lynn quote and then you know me (laughs) and it's a legend that still lives on so that is where we're going to end this episode except for two little bits of business we have to take care of first
4: again this is going to take 45
5: minutes it's going to be a tone episode well uh, I, so I, the, the first part i'm actually going to get go through really quickly now uh, i have a friend who is a fellow uber tom petty fan and who also thinks that traveling wilburys volume one is largely borrowed from the scriptures okay mm. so we we both love petty and love this album so I was at his house once and he's got a really nice set up in his backyard. He's got a, a green egg smoker. It's built into an out, a big outdoor table. And I've lost the picture, but there was a picture of that table at the end of a Saturday that I hung out there. There was a laughably gigantic can, <laughs> mountain of empty beer cans. <laughs> there were There were shrimp tails. There were cigar butts. There was an empty bottle of whiskey. There were were rib bones strewn everywhere. It was quite something to see, okay? But as we consumed, like, I honestly think we started just, he and I, with a case and a six-pack and had to send his girlfriend out for more beer before lunch. (laughs) So, so you can imagine how that how the day went. Uh, But anyway, so as we were smoking, I think we were cooking, making barbecue and some ribs or whatever, I said that we were listening to the Wilbur's album, and I said, you know, I said, I thought about something. All of the Wilburys, the individual members, released a solo album either a year before or about a year after the first Wilburys album came out. And I said, if you want to kind of get a snapshot of where all these artists were at the time, I think you have to take the two Wilburys albums and those five solo albums. And I said, I I call it the Wilbury canon. Hmm. And he said, Dude, you know what's funny is I've thought about the same thing, and we had a very lengthy discussion about this. Okay, now in, in prepping for this, I did some some more research, and I, I think there's actually some validity to this. So follow me here. The first album to come out was Cloud Nine, George George Harrison's solo album. It was produced by Jeff Lynne. Okay, so then you have the Wilburys album, which is a pitch in from all five. Tom Petty's Full Moon Fever was produced by Jeff Lynne, with background vocals contributed by George Harrison and Roy Orbison. Roy Orbison's Mystery Girl album was produced, half of it by T-Bone Burnett, half of it by Jeff Lynn. Tom Petty and Jeff Lynn co-wrote two songs. They play guitar and they sing backup. On multiple songs on top of all that a lot of the same studio musicians are used on all of the albums including the guy a couple of guys we mentioned in this episode jim Keltner and jim horn jeff lynn produced a goodly chunk of, of all this they're co-writing songs together they're singing together they're playing guitar on one another's records and 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 such as that and using the same studio musicians so as i kind of started looking that i was like wow the thing i made up when i was drunk at my friend's house that time actually has some validity there is a common thread that runs through a lot of, the, of of those solo albums. Now, the exception is Bob Dylan's 1989 album, Oh Mercy. Having listened to it and, and really read the track listings and who contributed, none of the other Wilburys co-wrote any of the songs, and none of them appear on the album, and Keltner and Horn do not appear on it. So I actually think that Bob's Oh Mercy does not belong in the Wilbury canon. What does is Dale Shannon's album, Rock On, I believe, Lynn produced almost the entire thing. Tom Petty helped co-write and co-produce and I think sang backup and played guitar on it. And again, some of the same studio musicians and such as that. And part of it was recorded in Mike Campbell's garage hmm. while they were recording Full Moon Fever. So I think you, you actually purge the Dylan album, but I think Wilbur's volume one, Wilbur's volume three, George Harrison's Cloud Nine, Tom's Full Moon Fever, Roy Orbison's Mystery Girl, Del Shannon's Rock On, and Jeff Lynn's album Armchair Theater comprise what I consider to be the Wilbury Canon. And I went through, and I have made a list of all the songs from all those albums, including ones that ended up being B-sides or coming out later on box sets or whatever. I asked LD to make it into a playlist because I don't know how to do that shit. But she said it would be really hard and take up too much room on her
4: phone. So T... Yeah. The reason why was in the beginning of the podcast, we had actually done a Spotify playlist for, you know, adding like a couple songs for every artist that we had done. And A, it got so big that my phone actually sent me a message and is like, hey, Spotify is using like 90% of your phone. <laughs> do you want to like do something <laughs> about that? And I was like, yes I, yes, I do. So, yeah, people have actually messaged us about our Spotify playlists. And look, if I figure out how to just have it without it being on my phone and just being on my like desktop or something, happily do it. So, but, unfortunately- sure,
5: but what, so, but what, what I'm going to do is I'm going to post um, on, on our, we'll post on our socials, just a list of the songs. And it's, a, it's about 96 songs total. God, so if people if people, if people, if people, if people want to check them out, they can.
4: How much free time do you have in your life?
5: Um you sleep. uh yeah I was going to say that the the secret is that you just don't sleep. <laughs> you yeah. get all the time back. Gotcha. You you got you got there's way more time to do fun stuff if if you don't sleep. <laughs> I mean like the tree like the trees talk to you and stuff, but other than that it's, not, it's likely not that bad.
4: <laughs> I mean, they do that to me anyway, that's
5: cuz I'm a magical unicorn. So, but we'll we'll post that on our socials and if people want would like to check it out then they can. Awesome. So, I'm not going to spend any more time on that. What I'm going to do now is turn to as people who listen to our podcast know, when I take the lead on these series, a lot of times what I like to do is at the end of an episode, I like to have a fun little list or a or a, a ranking or a this little discussion fun. point or a debate. This is
4: not fun.
5: Okay, so the one I came up with today is not fun, and in fact, <laughs> I now consider myself a dick for having thought of it. <laughs> I am a complete a hole, and I don't like me anymore because what I did was I I told. Um, Will and LD, and we actually, have, we actually have two other people who are going to contribute. Yes, two others who well. with us. I said, okay, we're going to go to the magical land of musical make-believe. It is 2021, and all of the traveling Wilburys are not only still with us, they're touring as a group. The traveling Wilburys are on the road. Mm-hmm. And you get to make the playlist. But here's the big, the big dick caveat <laughs> that makes me hate myself now. You can only pick four songs by each one of them, and four Traveling Wilbury songs, and a kind of a wild card, anything goes, four song encore. Now, for Jeff Lynn, you can pick any of his solo stuff or anything he did with Electric Light Orchestra. In George's case. You can use his solo stuff or anything from the Beatles catalog. And then, uh, you know, Tom, any of his solo stuff, anything with the Heartbreakers, anything from Mudcrutch, if you'd like to go that route, uh, is eligible. And I I don't really think that I can think of Bob or Roy were ever really in, in any bands. So it's pretty much just their solo stuff. But you only get four by everybody. Then four Wilbury songs, and then four songs... That you can pretty much do whatever you want to with from anybody's catalog.
4: Which, by uh, the way, he means only those cat Like, they yeah. can't do Umbop, which I pitched early on, and he nixed that idea.
6: Which is good, because I had them doing Cookie Puss and Uncle Arthur. And I, I, to I wanted them
4: to do the Spice Girls wannabe, because could you hear Roy taking the lead on that?
5: Oh, yeah. Bob Dylan so, um, cookie so I actually did a lot of research for this one, and that included me uncovering a song by Roy Orbison called was it southbound what was the name of that thing i sent you southbound parkway nope i can tell you hang on southbound jericho parkway it's like it it is truly one of the strangest things i've ever heard in my life it's (laughs) weird it's it's like it's very much like macarthur park and an american trilogy Bumped uglies in a Porta John at a Rush concert and made a baby. I don't know how else to describe <laughs> it. While the Necromancer was playing, I mean, right at home. that's that's. I mean, seriously, if you haven't ever heard it, go listen. To it. It's one of the weird. There's like 10 time changes in it. It it starts off. There's it starts off as like a piano ballad, and then there's like fuzz guitar and then like harmonicas and then it slows down again and then it turns into a country song and then it's like a hard rock song i don't know what the hell roy was doing. you
4: sent it to me and i was mad at you
5: you were actually angry at me for presenting it to you yeah and it's like eight minutes long on top of everything else (laughs) so i don't guess anybody included that one but what everybody is going to do now is read you their Wilbury set list now do you guys want to set up the fact that we actually have two friends who have contributed
6: we do. We have two listeners. Uh, one is a longtime listener, uh, Penelope, and the other is Mark. So we have two outside contributors. And if
4: you guys remember, Mark actually contributed to the Beastie Boys. Yes, he did. Yep. of the Out episodes. Now, uh, really quick before we start this, guys. If you feel like just ramming your face into a wall or pulling a Billy Joel and drinking, you know, uh, what is it, floor polish? Furniture or polish. Furniture polish. Uh, or, or just... Uh, jamming nails into your brains isn't painful enough. We encourage you guys to try this exercise because <laughs> yeah, this
5: was this was a hellish, unpleasant exercise. I had it to was make- very much like putting your junk in, in a de- in a desk drawer and slamming it shut or something. Like I don't know, that's about how unpleasant it was. This was I, this made me miserable because <laughs> I changed these things over and over and over. oh wait, I forgot this song. Oh mm-hmm. wait, I've got I got to change. It. And I'm, I, I was done with my list and did myself the extreme disservice of, of Googling Bob Dylan's best songs. Oops. <laughs> and here's a list of 50. And I start reading it. And I'm like, good <laughs> luck, yeah. And it's like, I, I forgot Knocking on Heaven's Door existed. Oh, crap. Oh, he did All on the Watchtower, too. Forgot about that. Oh, here's yeah. one that's got to go in. Well, my yeah. list sucks, and I hate everything.
4: <laughs> you know what? I only did my list one time, and I stuck with it. I walked away from it. I cut the computer off so I couldn't make changes to it. So the first draft is the final draft for me. <laughs> first, thought best. Okay,
5: thing. so do you guys want to read Penelope and Mark's uh, set list first? I, I think we should.
4: I think uh, Will the Thrill is going to take the helm on that. Will. So let me pull up. We'll
5: start with Penelope.
4: And guys, we encourage you to uh, to send us emails. We will be giving out our socials at the end. So yeah,
5: if you uh, any, uh, I would invite anybody to try this hellish exercise. What and and I would legitimately like to see what everybody would pick too.
6: Yes, please. Uh, the, the email she sent us opens, by the way, with, you were right, this wasn't easy. So <laughs> here we go. And she broke it up by artists. So we start with the subject of our series, Mr. Thomas Earl Petty. The songs Penelope selected are Learning to Fly, Free Fallin',
4: Good.
5: Mary Jane's Last Dance, mm. and Wildflowers. I mean, I can't That's... argue with any of those. You can pick almost four, any four Tom Petty songs and I can't argue with you. <laughs> Really,
6: she goes on to uh, Mr. Robert Zimmerman, aka okay. Subterranean Homesick Blues. Oh, wow. good yeah.
5: one! Good one! Good, good one! Song.
6: Like a Rolling Stone, it's oh, a classic for a reason. Obviously, knocking on heaven's door. Yep, and long time gone.
4: Ooh.
5: all right,
6: we move on to Mr. Jeff Lynn with Don't Bring Me Down, Yellow classic. Right.
4: I mean, yeah, that's yeah,
6: can't get out of my head, evil woman. I mean, yep, classic and whisper in the night
4: penelope we need to chat (laughs) you'll find out why later next up is
6: again my favorite my sweet george harrison with my sweet lord kicking
5: it off all right
6: here comes the sun i mean how can you not
5: right it uh, something uh, and while my guitar gently weeps that that again you almost can't argue with anything you pick for any of these guys.
6: No, the, the, the encore here
5: is unless 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 anybody picks Southbound Jericho, Express <laughs> yeah, exactly. Player, whatever the hell it is by Royals. <laughs> there is a there is a ringer. Then, to... then I am then I am in fact going to argue with you. Really, like I'm going fi- <laughs> to I'm going to find you and we're going to argue. The, uh, the 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 encore has got a
6: a wild card here. It's going to be fun. But first, we get to Roy Orbison, of course, with Pretty Woman. I mean, can't argue that. No. Only the lonely. Yep. You got it and Mystery Girl, title oh. track off the final. Ooh,
5: I love, ooh, Mystery Girl's a great song, and I think wow. that's the one that Bono and the Edge wrote. Did they? I think so. I believe <laughs> that they, they wrote that song. So now we come to the so Wilburys I think, tunes. I, I think supposedly they saw um, Blue Velvet, w- which used in Dreams,
6: mm-hmm.
5: and they were so moved by something about that movie that I think they wrote that song for Roy oh, wow. As,
6: wow. as a result. Amazing. To the Wilbury songs, we have Poor House, one that I forgot about okay so, handle with care absolutely yep. ah. Wilbury twist yep and end of the line nice okay
5: so she actually went with two from from volume three that's interesting
6: mm-hmm. which which i'll talk about that when i get to mine but but we move on to the the encore here which is all right this is the, you guys are gonna love this one Taxman.
4: nice yeah yes yes rock and roll
6: king which i had totally forgotten about rock and roll King, it's a great song blowing in the wind and out of left field entering the chat we have mud crutch with shady grove shady grove well
4: done you have the rock and roll heaven seal of approval well absolutely applied
5: excellent list i'm gonna i'm gonna bet there aren't many mud crutch entries on these
4: uh
6: that might be the only one <laughs> <laughs> uh,
5: <laughs> all, yeah. although although i'm gonna surprise y'all later in this series on one of our lists and mud crutch is gonna make an appearance where you don't expect it to. <laughs>
6: fun uh, and, and yep. putting in the encore made it even more delightful
5: yep oh uh, amazing oh Thank what are they gonna finish what are they gonna finish with i bet they're gonna finish with uh like a rolling stone or or uh, refugees, like, nope, mud, cr- <laughs> mud crunch. <Mud> <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm either gonna fish with something from the Beatles or <laughs> no <Nope>, mud, cr- <laughs> mud you
4: know. Sometimes you gotta end where you begin.
6: <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, shall we go with uh, Mr. Mark's list? So, Mark sent yes. this in. He, uh, By the way, both of these contributors will be addressing all of our discussion points oh, in the excellent. series to come.
5: So, just outstanding.
6: Uh, he was the only one I think did the homework as prescribed by UTJ, and he opened with a line that I do have to share with you, which is, uh, where is it here? He called it a mighty enjoyable exercise, which might have been sarcasm.
5: That would make one of them. <laughs> and he
6: he actively avoided including a list that was just got my mind set on you twenty eight times, which would have been. Okay. Funny. Uh, but he wrote it out actually as a concert set list in okay. order. Okay. So, little theatrics dumb. here.
4: Why go the extra mile?
6: He, he We got some theatrics here. So, house lights dim. Crowd goes up. One spotlight. Mr. George Harrison. He strums his guitar as all the Wilburys take the stage. Here comes the sun.
4: Dude, seriously, Mark. Nice. Dude, dude, dude. Yeah. dude seriously.
6: <laughs> From there, they roll into Stuck Inside of Mobile with the Memphis Blues again. Bob Dylan. Oh. All right, Great one. Handle with now,
5: Care. Now he, he, now, he is a huge Dylan fan, correct?
6: And that's why I think this list was, again, really timely because we all have our favorite Wilburys. His is Dylan by a country mile, so he's right. a big Dylan fan.
5: Uh, next
6: is Handle with Care, like you do.
4: And no one, no one's representing Jeff Lynn. Uh, Jeff Lynn doesn't
6: represent Jeff Lynn. <laughs> oh. um, no, but seriously, he's, he's the studio master behind all of this. So
4: I mean, Jeff Lynn is a friggin' god. He is in
6: the studio. So, can't touch that guy. Yep. Uh, not Alone Anymore. Traveling Wilbur's. Oh. Yep. All about Roy, Roy continues with Only the Lonely. Good choice. Nice. Uh, we go on to While My Guitar Gently Weeps with George. Uh, then back to Jeff Lynne, Don't Bring Me Down. Bruce. Yep. The Waiting, Mr. Thomas Earl Petty.
5: Oh, that's a girl. That's a, that, that is one of the best rock songs there's ever been, ever.
6: And this next entry made me change my list. Bob Dylan's When I Paint My Masterpiece. Amazing
5: song. Except the, band's, except the band's version is better, but whatever. Uh, I think but that's... The, but the band probably did everything better than everybody, to be perfectly honest with you. Well, to be fair,
6: I, I like the Dylan version myself. Uh, okay. Le-
5: learning to Fly. Again, no argument. Right. What is Life? Forgot about that oh, one. Nice. Yep. Mr. Blue Sky. <laughs> yep, there it that is. That is such a... You know what? That is such... a that is such a happy, wonderful song. It really is. You can't, you can't say you can't listen to Mr. Blue Sky and and be in a bad mood. I don't think it's the
6: kettle corn of songs. You're gonna say you don't want it, but then you're like, yeah, I'll have it. But
5: yeah, I don't want. It. Okay, I'll take one bite, and then you eat like five, a five <laughs> yeah. pound bag. I'm <laughs> sorry.
4: The whole reason why I bought Guardians of the Galaxy Part Two on audio tape <laughs> was, group was dancing, so I right? can get group dancing to Mr. Blue Sky. To Mr. Blue Sky. Oh, that's
6: great. Uh, next up is Roy Orbison, "Blue Angel."
5: Nice, "Dirty World." Great song. Great. Uh, that's a, that is a fantastic song. Uh, that's it was such, to show everybody how hard this exercise was. We, we you, you picked four songs by everybody. Mm-hmm. The Wil the Wilburys only have twenty three songs, and it was hard to yeah. pick four. Much yeah, less. It was- not much less Dylan and Petty and a freaking Beatle. Yeah,
6: and that George Harrison guy, and that Bob Dylan guy yes. with 40 albums. You right. I mean? uh, next up is, in fact, Tom Petty, Walls. Oh, Walls. Great, so I, nice. I know that's Walls. one of your favorites. Uh, then we come back a little bit, Jeff Lynn with Evil Woman. Okay. Gonna Serve Somebody, Bob Dylan. Another one that I've forgotten about. Uh, we go to a classic with My Sweet Lord. It's, it's a classic. It is. Roy's, You Got It. Yeah. I mean, no argument there. Turn to Stone, Mr. Jeff Lynn.
5: Right. Tom Petty, I Won't Back Down.
6: It's great a great song. song. It's a great song.
5: Yeah. And, I, and I, I like thinking about how the Wilburys would have presented some of these songs.
6: Yeah. that was That's going to come into play in my set for sure. have uh, yeah. Dylan with Knocking on Heaven's Door. Again, you had pointed out, you've forgotten about that one in the end. Right. It's, uh, oh, Pretty Woman, Roy Orbison. And The Wilberry Twist rounds out the set wow okay
4: Wilbury's twist Uh,
5: yeah and another another selection from Wilbury's volume three yeah now we go with the four song encore
6: they come back on stage and they go into old brown shoe wow yep okay didn't see that one coming tom petty's running down a dream good again classic yep all along the Watchtower, Bob Dylan.
4: Give yeah, it how 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 are you gonna like that's? Can't
6: you picture that with all five yeah, of them though? Like
4: seventeen minutes long. I
6: don't care. All five of them could play for seventeen minutes. I'd be fine with it. <laughs> and then a perfect ending. End of the line. Traveling
5: Wilburys. Yep. 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 And very uh, good. Play- hey, very very good one. Thank thank you, Penelope. Thank Mark. Mark thank very much for participating. Yep. Those were, those were excellent.
6: They were. And the last note I want to give about Mark is one thing that he had included as a bit of an anecdote when their one of their sons was born. He had a very rare. Uh, illness and one of the charities that actually helped them find doctors that could treat it was the ronald mcdonald foundation in gainesville florida nice. so lo and behold mark goes there and there's a big list of donors on the plaque guess who's well near the top
5: Aww. i'm gonna Betty guess and it's heartbreakers. yep Company and we'll we'll talk about his philanthropy later in the uh, oh, yeah. later in this series and it, there's a lot of it
4: yeah so right. do we want to break you up thank you thank you mark thank you do we want to break you up yep. and have me do my list or do you want to just continue marching on? I'll, I'll take a break. Okay. T, do you want to do yours or do you want to be that, last? Yeah, I'll I'll go last. Okay. So I'll do my list. All right. I went I went traditional. I just chose it by artist so Okay. For Jeff Lynne, I have Mr. Blue Sky.
5: Of course. Yep.
4: I have Every Little Thing.
5: That's a good one. That uh, that that is uh, that's from his uh solo album and I really like that song. It's a good song. Yeah. Yes very good
4: song give me love give me peace on earth Mm. all right and of course i have to have don't bring me down by tom petty this is a song i don't think any of you guys will pick but it's honestly my favorite song by mr tom petty it is the closest thing i think to a traditional love song that he ever did and it's here comes my girl it's a great
5: song that is one of my absolute favorites and I, i love it for a lot of reasons the only parts, the only times that song he's singing is in the chorus. He's talking the whole rest of the time. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and a- I, I was I was a whisker from putting that on my list. I, I promise I was.
4: Uh, that was the one that I didn't think anybody was going to pick. So I, that, I
5: that's one I almost picked. It's a good one. Ah, oh, all yeah. right.
4: So then uh, I have Last Dance with Mary Jane. Of course, sure. Uh, taking my time.
5: Ooh, all right.
4: Because that is just such good sexy dirty blues that are happening in that song oh, i forgot about that one and then uh into the great wide open to polish off tom
5: all well, right that's a great song and one of the best videos ever made in my yes I yep fantastic yep. Video.
4: all right so for mr roy orbison i have you got it and this is the this is the one where i had the most problems like was roy. roy it was it was very hard to do roy so i got you got it crying and then Love Hurts, but it's specific. It is from the album A Love So Beautiful, which was with Roy Orbison and the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra.
5: Interesting. So it's oh that sounds terrible.
4: Oh, uh, it is fantastic. <laughs> oh my god, it's so
5: I'm good. sure that I'm sure I'm sure that was awful. <laughs> yeah.
4: <laughs> and then my final one for him was Sweet and Easy to Love, which is just classic Roy. It's so so awesome. Just a great song. For Mr. George Harrison. I got my mind set on you. Yeah, you kind of have to. <laughs> I love that song. Uh all things must pass.
6: Nice.
4: Here comes the sun. Uh my sweet lord. Mm-hmm. And I have an honorary mention and I I know that's probably cheating, but I do love Ob-La-Di, which he wrote and yep. is one of my favorite Beatles songs. Yeah, like so I said, it's not just it's Beatles, a, it's a George Beatles. It's a George Beatles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then we have uh, Bob Dylan, "Blowing in the Wind." Uh, times they are changing, and uh, the reason why I love "Times They Are Changing" so much is because it was the they used it to show the passage of time in the Watchmen, uh, as the Watchmen open credits. Which mm-hmm. I know, t you've never seen, but you know you've seen it a bunch, Mr. Will the Thrill, and they they do just such a great job of integrating that song into the intro. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Like a Rolling Stone and I Shall Be Free. Mm. As far as Wilbury songs, I chose Handle Me With Care, obviously.
5: One of your ten favorite songs ever of all time. Mm -hmm.
4: Yeah, I feel like if I didn't put that on the list, it would be bad for me because then I would just be be a liar. I'd be a (laughs) dirty, dirty liar. You're fooling yourself. Uh, Then I have End of the Line. And then I have The Devil's Been Busy. That's a three,
6: right? The devil's
4: busy. Yep. been dizzy. Yeah. three. And then you took my breath away.
5: Ooh. Okay. All right.
4: For the encore, I have Evil Woman, which makes that three. Every Everyone that's gone up so far has chose Evil Woman. because <laughs> It's just a good song. It is. House in the Woods.
6: Oh.
5: Oh, I love House in the Woods. Wow. Fantastic song. Now, that's here's cool.
4: the thing about House in the Woods. It almost sounds like I get by with a little help from my friends. Hmm. <laughs> I can hear that.
5: Which is there's a little bit of the the, of the the organ that dan I I kinda hear what you're saying. What you're saying on that, actually. Yeah.
4: Uh for Bob Dylan, Tangled Up in Blue.
5: Yep. That is a good song.
4: And then uh for George, something. Good one too. And then for Roy to close out the night, because you go to bed after these concerts, I chose Dream Baby.
5: All right. Very nice. That is my set list. Very good. Very, very good.
6: Mr. Thrill, what have you got? Well, I did this again by artist with the exception of the encore. So when we get to that, I'll, I'll do a more thorough explanation. Uh, but I did it pretty much by artist. So we'll start with, of course, Jeff Lynn. Don't bring me down. I mean, sure. you, 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 yeah, you can't. Uh, Living Thing. Huh. That's a fun song. Okay.
4: Well. Okay. I mostly
6: want ELO here. Okay. Uh, Evil Woman. <laughs>
4: so yeah. that's, And that's, so so far, Evil Woman is the Evil Woman, and I think either Here Comes the Sun or My Sweet Lord are very popular. Are, yeah. are very popular.
6: <laughs> yeah. Then I picked one. I guarantee none of you have picked. So, TJ, you're going to have to be the deciding factor. My final Jeff Lynne song comes from the album Armchair Theater September song.
5: Oh, wow. Yep. Yeah yeah nobody no, yeah, nobody else is gonna pick it.
6: <laughs> it is so strange and it just seems so out of place and i i originally put it on the list i took it off and i put it on the list i took it back off and i put it on and i'm like nah i'm keeping it forget you i'm doing it that rounds out jeff lynn bob dylan okay. we have times they are changing so ld and i agreed on that one we have shelter from the storm probably my favorite okay. song of all time probably i had to put hurricane okay i mean yeah. if no one else is gonna I'm going to do it. I did make the final change after Mr. Mark's list. I put When I Paint My Masterpiece, which forced me to scrap Lay Lady Lay or Tangled Up in Blue. So both of them didn't make the cut. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Choices were made. Oh, they were. And I struggled with Roy Orbison Again, going to his catalog. In I,
5: as did I. Yes.
6: I had stuff that got cut, but here's the four that I kept. Pretty woman. I mean...
4: That was the first... W- yeah. That- no one's chosen that at all. No,
6: uh, it was so chosen by Penelope. Oh, did you? Yeah,
4: oh, she did. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay, okay. Yep, yep.
6: It's right. been chosen. Only the Lonely. Yeah. Yep. California Blue. Yeah. That is a great song. And, that, and,
5: and, and, and it, it was co written by Tom Petty and Jeff Lynn. There well, you go.
4: The funny thing is, our cat Lefty is from California and he is a Russian Blue.
6: Yep. So, California Blue. I ended up having to scrap. I drove all night, Mean Woman Blues, and Crawling Back. See,
4: now you're just cheating.
6: Yeah. But I went with falling. So. Okay. You yeah. cheating
4: cheater I'm cheats. sorry. I feel
6: like I'm going to give the honorable mention. So I'll, I won't do that. I, gave, I
4: gave one honorable mention. Okay. Come on. Man. All right. I'll stop.
6: I'll stop. I'll <laughs> stop. I'll just go with the, the four that made the list. Now, if you told me I could only pick four songs off George Harrison's All Things Must Pass, I would be crying and throwing things. But you forced me to do it with everything, so here's what you get. My my sweet lord.
5: Okay. okay. Here
6: comes here comes the sun. Right. I had to take it from Let It Be. I me mine. Okay. Probably one of the best Beatles songs ever.
4: Arguments. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna fight. Sorry. Not one of the best. Even not in my top twenty. Okay. Sorry. And then I had to go again,
6: in a direction that no one would expect. I went with Wawa because man, I love the sound of that song. Wow.
4: Yep. A Wawa was a contender, but it, it did a not fun make song. it. It did not make it.
6: We come to Tom Petty, and I think TJ, you will approve of my first pick. I'm going with Change the Locks.
5: Yes. It's a great, great. song. Great. That's a great song, a cover of the Lucinda Williams uh, tune. That is that I've told y'all before I love songs that have a quality where it feels like. The engine's on fire. The brakes have failed. (laughs) The wheels are coming off and you're swerving between the ditches. And there's something about that song that just feels like it's going to come unglued at the end. And I love it.
6: It's really one of the great middle finger songs of all time. I love
5: it.
6: Change the Locks, fantastic. Then I'm going with Don't Come Around Here No More. Yes. Great song. Great video.
5: With with a great video. And that one was with uh, David A. Stewart.
6: Oh, wow. Excellent. This one crept up on me. Face in the Crowd. Oh,
5: nice. I, i'm gonna tell you something that is an understated gem beautiful on song. um it is that is an un, that is a, a criminally overlooked little gem on um full moon fever i, it, I, I, I love that i love that song and my final
6: song comes from wildflowers you wreck me
5: then that's hard to, it's hard to argue with that
6: yeah <laughs> And I will spare you the list of songs I scrapped because it's seriously about a page worth of material.
5: But, uh, my, the songs yeah. I scrapped for Tom Petty would be a whole other pop- podcast. So. Exactly.
6: It's a whole other podcast. My Wilburys Tunes, End of the Line.
5: Okay. Mm-hmm.
6: Dirty World, because I love it. Okay. Yep. Tweeter and the Monkey Man. I, I feel like I'm obligated to. I mean, yeah. yeah. And Last Night. Cool. Yes. So now we come to the theatrics, ladies and gentlemen. Picture this.
5: I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, okay, to let you finish. Ben, but there's, yep. I'm going to point something out when you're done. Go for
6: it. Okay. So I'll continue. Lights are off. Crowd goes wild.
4: Really? Really? We're doing this?
6: Five spotlights appear on stage. Each one in his own light. Now picture that for a second. If that doesn't make your eyes misty, think about that. All five on stage together. Yep. Still with us.
4: I think, I think you're approaching it wrong.
6: There is no wrong. <laughs> Tom Petty.
4: They would be in a circle.
6: Tom Petty strikes two chords, Free (laughs) fallen. Now, when I designed the encore, I designed it for all the Wilburys to play these songs. That was my thought. This is all five of them. We go from that into Roy Orbison's You Got It. Followed by While My Guitar Gently Weeps. Yep. And we close Handle Me With Care.
5: The the thing I was going to point out, uh, Will, I was surp- I'm surprised that one of the Wilbury songs you didn't pick, given that you are such a a, a George Harrison devotee, is uh, headed for the light. It was tough. It was tough. Yeah. Because that that I, I because that's a banger. I really like that song a lot.
6: But I only got four. You only get four. Time. I know,
5: I say I know I know that's the tough part. That's no,
4: my list. no but the thing is we only got four but we had to pick four mm-hmm. like there's right. there's not an easy in between like if you would like oh just pick one top Petty song that would have been easier but then you had to be like okay who are my four favorite children exactly
5: you have do you have how many children do you have yeah.
4: <laughs> <laughs> apparently 28 29 uh, i don't know uh, yes.
5: Holyfield? Yeah. <laughs> yeah okay so here is my set list i'm gonna actually roll out the wilbury songs first and again like i told you they had 23 songs and i almost couldn't make myself pick four it was ridiculous this was so hard to narrow it down to four i went with last night tweeter and the monkey man handle with care and not alone anymore
6: Ooh, good
4: one! I, I believe um, that everyone picked "Handle Me with Care" at least. At how, could <laughs> how could you not?
5: How could you not? That's 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 like we said earlier. That's a perfect song. Everything about it, it, it could not be improved upon. It is perfect.
4: That is
5: true. Oh, uh, I, I love "Rattled." I love um, "Congratulations." There, there's a the entire first album. It's hard to pick four songs off the first album.
6: Yeah.
5: And I, I only ended up picking songs from that first album. That's the four I went with. Same. Yeah. My, okay. My Roy Orbison songs. Now I kind of didn't want my entire set list to be nothing but greatest hit songs, but then I thought about it and you think, if I get to see these five guys, that's what I want to hear mm-hmm. really. But I did pick one kind of deep cut from Roy and uh, it's uh, one of the lonely ones. For those who don't know, he recorded an album right after his uh, wife and children died, um, and it was very dark um, intentionally, and, and you could understand why, given what he had just gone through. And then he got into some kind of contract squabble with MGM, and that thing got shelved, and literally everyone assumed many years later that the album was just lost and gone forever. Mm. His family somehow found it, and they released it in 2015. Wow. Yeah. So 27 years after Roy died, and it, it's a very down album, as you can imagine, but the there's a song on there called One of the Lonely Ones, and it's gorgeous, and I love it. So I, I put that one on there. Pretty Woman, obvious pick. You got to hear that with Roy. I, I was surprised nobody else picked this one. It's over. I almost did. I mean, I almost did. I almost did. There, that You know, the funny thing about that song, I don't think it has a chorus. I put I
4: put that one out because of Love Hurts.
5: Right. Well, and again, it's and we're you're, you're, we're splitting hairs to pick our favorite mm-hmm. of these guys. There's just something about that song. First of all, I don't think it has a chorus, does it? It just kind of keeps going and going, and yeah. then it's it's over, it's over, it's <laughs> over, and he's done. It's a great song. Uh, and then you got it from Mystery Girl. Yeah. Would be my fourth one from Roy. All right, my Jeff Lynn picks. These were tough, but. I went with Don't Bring Me Down, Evil Woman. Yeah. Was I the only person to pick Strange Magic? Yes. Yes, you were. I think I was. Um, And my fourth one was really, really hard, and I vacillated and flipped it a bunch of times. I ended up settling with Do Ya. Okay. Good one. Okay. My George picks. Now, I'm going to tell you, I, I tried to make this exercise a little easier on myself. I limited myself only to Beatles songs that george sings lead on that wasn't a requirement for anybody but this was hellish (laughs) and to make it a little easier on myself i i i I decided if i'm going to pick beatles songs it's going to be ones that george sings lead on okay um of course the problem with that is i mean he didn't sing lead on a ton of songs all of them he did sing lead on i love some of my favorite beatles songs yep i went with something i think that's one of the most beautiful songs in their catalog
4: absolutely
5: I love Here Comes the Sun. So that one's in there. I I think you said Mark included this one, What is Life. Yep. Yep. I think that is one of the best songs by a former Beatle that there is, in my opinion. No one Mm -hmm. picked Eleanor
4: Wigby.
5: Nobody, no, but I I think I'm the only person who picked all those years ago. Yeah, you are. are. Uh, Which, until the Beatles anthology was about the closest we got to a Beatles reunion. Because don't Ringo and Linda and Ringo all chip in on that?
4: I do believe so. Yeah, and yeah. I think, did Jeff Lynn have something to do with Free as a Bird?
5: Yes, he produced it.
4: Okay. <laughs> he produced everything.
5: There you go. Yeah. Uh, okay, my Bob Dylan songs. I, I I'll I'll tell you up front, I've always been what you would consider more of a casual Bob Dylan fan. I, I mean, right. I like his greatest hits kind of stuff, but I, I'm not one who can give you deep cut you know, uh, offerings. I, I'm getting into Bob a little bit more now. And I do like some of his post two thousand stuff where he's wearing like a cowboy hat and like a rhinestone jacket, <laughs> which is just weird. But some of that's really good stuff. I really liked Oh Mercy, even though i omitted it from my Wilbury canon, as I told you earlier. But I'm pretty much going with Greatest hits. I just, that's because these are the ones I would want to hear if I saw him. Like a Rolling Stone. I also picked Hurricane, Will. Nice. First of all, the intensity of that song is crazy. It's a great um, song. And, and then it's one of those songs where Dylan is almost a singing newsboy kind of <laughs> he's saying or singing a documentary almost um because he's singing about reuben hurricane carter who's you know a boxer who was uh, jailed for murder and that he was later i don't know if he was acquitted he was definitely released from prison right
6: yeah he was he went to jail and was released
5: but he, but he spent like 20 years i think in jail on on that and then mm-hmm. got another trial and he was convicted again and then that got overturned or whatever but he ended up being freed is the point um but uh, bob kind of kind of brought attention to what he was going through with that song. Um I, I put my my favorite Bob Dylan songs tangled up in blue. It's a good one. Uh I'm changing what's on my list. I've I've gone back and forth on this fourth song. I, I'm not joking. You are I've calling an
4: Audible on your own
5: Audible? <laughs> I'm calling an Audible on my own audible. I, the the fourth Dylan pick, I'm not joking. This is the sixth time I've changed it. <laughs> I had You Ain't Going Nowhere. But I'm changing it to "Rainy Day Women" number twelve and thirty-five. Okay. AKA everybody must get stoned.
6: Yep. That's, <laughs> yep.
5: Because it sounds that that song feels like you're in a New Orleans jazz club, and you're on, You've just hammered down like your twelfth hurricane. And you haven't drank as much as the band has <laughs> 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 It's like everybody's drunker than hell and screaming in the background on that. It's great, I love it, so i'm gonna i'm I'm changing it that's what I'm going with. The Tom Petty one was obviously the hardest one for me, but I'm just gonna read what I got and just go with it. uh, American Girl is gonna be the lead off song, then we're gonna do refugee, mm, okay. Then we're, okay. Now I have. This is kind of a, a deep cut. This was not a hit. It was put out. It released as a single off the end of the Great Wide Open album. W- was not a hit at all. But this is just. I love the song, and it's it's one of my absolute favorites. King's Highway. That is a good one. Yeah. I don't actually think I know this. Have you heard it? Uh, you you should listen to it when we're done. You'll really like it. And then okay. my fourth my fourth my fourth song from Tom is It's Good to Be King.
6: Yeah. Another good one
5: uh My encore. I'm going to start off with "While My Guitar Gently Weeps." Fair. I was going to change this, but I'm just going to read what I got, or, or I'm never going to finish. "Running Down a Dream" will be next. Okay. Another. Um, not not something that would be on his greatest hits album necessarily, but I went with the second Petty song for my encore. I love the song "Swinging."
6: That was a wow. scratch of mine. A late from scratch. Echo. From Echo.
5: Yep. Um. And there's so many of his I would like to get in here, but you know, you just got four and then however many you want to use in the encore. And then I too chose to end things with end of the line. Nice. That was good. That was a good cross section of songs. There were some that that popped up in everybody's or most everybody's, but there was a lot of different stuff there. That was really cool. I like that. There were some rears. Yep. All right. Very good. So uh, I guess LD will uh, throw the socials out and then we'll check out of here with one last song.
4: All righty. If you think that this episode was a masterpiece. Why wouldn't you? (laughs) A a pantheon of all music and glory. That we are the kings and queens of comedy. We are the ones that light the torch at the Tokyo Olympics. And we alone stand against all tyranny. You should give us money.
5: (laughs) In short, if we did all that, you should totally give us money.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you can do that at. Uh, patreon.com backslash rock and roll heaven Uh, please engage with us over on twitter at rock and roll lt we always update our instagram over at rock and roll heaven lt that's where we actually have a lot of our our uh we have updates and any anything that happens or just to let you know who the episode is going to be about or even a little bit more information you can find that over at our instagram we really like playing on that you can find us also on Facebook, which is also a really good way to get a hold of us because old people like my brother uh, know how to use Facebook. And uh, you can, <laughs> and you can uh, check us out there at Rock and Roll Heaven Pod, our website. Still not going to say it. <laughs> I bet you thought I was just now, but I wasn't. And you can email us at Rock and Roll Heaven LT. That's R O C K A N D R O L L A G A V E N L T at gmail.com and please make sure to check out all the other awesome pantheon podcasts at pantheonpodcast.com and just to let you guys know i am back on american idol so if you are listening to this particular podcast and you are between the ages of 15 and 28 please shoot me an email at the next at gmail.com. And if you happen to know anyone that you think would be an excellent vocalist and has dreams of being an idol, please go ahead and email me at the next at gmail.com. Uh, and then as far as everything else goes, do we have any other news intros, any news info or anything guys? We good.
5: I think, we're good. Yeah, I think I'm good.
4: All right. And if uh, I said anything too fast, which I don't think I was too bad this time, you can also check the, the, the socials out in the show notes. So I'm going to hand it back over to Travis. And the, with uh, that, I will say good night to everyone in Radioland. Mr. Will, would you like to say something to the audience?
6: Something to the audience.
4: Oh, boy.
5: Hail, hail.
4: Now, good night, everybody. Good night. And then T- right. back to you.
5: All right. Well, I I will also uh, bid everyone a a pleasant good evening, but we're going to leave with one more song from the Traveling Wilburys. Now in our next episode, we're going to jump back to Tom's very early life. Actually, we're going to jump back to the life of his grandfather. (laughs) That's how far back we're going to go, but we're going to start at the beginning next week, but we're going to wrap up this episode on the Traveling Wilburys with a cut from Traveling Wilburys volume three. This was a tribute to, Lefty Wilbury, Roy Orbison, and Tom Petty Sings, fittingly, uh, since that's who we're doing this series on, Lead on this one. We're going to check out from Rock and Roll Heaven with You Took My Breath Away.